Think so, you know better And catch my breathing by the letters Grieving far below the pressure But sinking further than a heart was weaving Drowning myself almost every evening Wishing I had met her But there's no pressure Top 100 matches of 2019 special over here at Psychology is Dead. We went five hours last night doing 100 to 51. I mean, yeah, 151. I have to apologize to Brock because I did, I did say that wouldn't go so long. And, yep. you know, I, I was wrong. <laughs> this one, I mean, hopefully this one shouldn't be quite as long because we are doing fewer matches i mean we we care more about these ones clearly but i don't know theoretically this should be less egregious yeah i don't know like maybe just because i was like looking back at the runtime for our um 26 um, 2016 top 100 (laughs) and that 151 like it felt shorter Mm. maybe i have to go back but like the fact that we went five hours is sickening yeah for (laughs) but you ready to jump into our uh yeah 51 and 26 we we better get started before we waste any more time all right so uh my number 50 is another match from a man wheeler yuda and he's taking on one of my favorite wrestlers in the world jonathan gresham and this comes at us from beyond wrestling's hope event back in uh march i never found time to see this well this was a match that i uh i talked up a lot and i wanted other people to see because i thought it was like um, a tremendous showing from both guys. Like I've long been a huge fan of Gresham, and, and I think he's he's absolutely one of the best wrestlers in the world. And this is a great example of that, um, and a great example of like uh, what I think is his greatest talent: his ability to um, uh, to carry other wrestlers to matches that they normally wouldn't have uh, to to elevate them. And uh, it's also a good showing from Yuta because like he. He was he was a guy who like I didn't come into this match loving like he was a guy I was just aware of and had seen a couple matches of, um, but after this like I was totally on board with the kid like this was the match that won me over on him and um, honestly got the ball rolling on me thinking Gresham was like the wrestler of the year for a little while. Uh, it's a it's a real simple match like real technically based, um, real uh, straightforward thing. But uh, I really appreciate the way that Gresham sells like. Um, he sells this idea of like having a lot on his mind, which is the sort of like character stuff you don't normally get from a guy like him. Uh, preceding this was a match between Jordan Grace and Maxwell Jacob Friedman, where uh, MJF, uh, a member of the Dream Team, along with Jonathan Gresham, theoretically like a friend of his, a partner, um, really roughed up Grace, Gresham's now wife, um, and like went after her hand and like really steamrolled her in a brutal way. And at the end of the match, Gresham rushes out and it's like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Like, this is, this is like unnecessary. Um, and they get in a little spat in Stokely Hathaway, who Gresham has at this point already been sort of beefing with for a little while, breaks it up. Um, so Gresham comes into this match, like having all of that on his mind and, and wanting to like stretch this kid to like, you know, clear his thoughts. But Yuta keeps 
poking at him and poking at him and poking at him and getting farther and farther against him in really simple ways, like the sorts of ways that you'd think a longtime technical veteran like Gresham would be able to shut down, but he doesn't because he's got he's got so much whirling through his head. Um, and watching them like play with this sort of idea and to watch Yuda get better in the match, like both in the terms of kayfabe and in just like his actual mechanics, like how well he's performing. I thought it was like incredibly impressive. And, and by the end, like Yuda gets this huge upset victory over the guy and it feels earned in a way that like so many matches do not earn their finishes. Mm, so would you say this is like the match that more than the homicide stuff and Nova pro that really sold you on Wheeler? Definitely. Yeah. Like I was already, um, hugely a fan of the kid by the time the homicide stuff came around. Um, and that first homicide match was kind of weak and they really turned it around with the second one. But this, this was the one that, that went from like me thinking, Oh yeah, you does that kid who, uh, David Starr threw a shirt at back in best of the best 16 <laughs> and going from that to like, Oh, this kid is like a top 30 wrestler of the year. Hmm. All right, so my 50 is a match you mentioned on the previous installment. It's Tony Storm versus Shayna Baszler from the UK Tourney Night 2. Okay, I had this up at 88, I believe. Well, I really enjoyed Shayna here, and, I, and I've enjoyed Shayna for um a while now. This was a match that really got me into Tony Storm, and is definitely the best performance I've ever seen from her. It for a, For a long time, I had, like, mixed feelings on tony it was a lot it was a lot of it due to i think tony's uh presence in the ring and how she was wrestling a lot of the time was sort of uh, like mowing through people Mm. there was nothing particularly likable about tony in the ring uh especially like since like the gimmick change that she went that she wanted under maybe not even a gimmick change more like the change in look um and and aesthetic sure yeah it it affected her matches. It definitely her becoming a bigger star and her change in look definitely affected her matches. I didn't feel like she was as um likable or as good as selling as she previously was when I was first getting my eyes on her, and I was pleasantly surprised and almost like astounded at how good she was fighting from underneath here. So like I always knew that Tony Storm was a really likable mm. babyface in the ring. It just sort of disappeared for a while and. When you're wrestling a bully like Shayna, who's so, someone who's so good at getting the most out of somebody and making them feel like they're, you know, we, t- we just talked about like Wheeler earning that win he just got versus Jonathan Gresham. Shayna, whenever someone gets offense on her, it feels like they earned it because mm. Shayna puts you through so much torment and struggle and pain and anguish that someone that I wasn't particularly hot on in Tony coming into this match, I left this match like, Wow, Tony Storm should get a match on Takeover versus Shayna. It left it left that it left that big of an impression on me, and I think that speaks volumes of how good Tony was in here selling her leg, and how just dismissive and cocky and arrogant Shayna was in order to like make me care so much. Yeah, I, I do. I would agree with you that this was um, this was probably the strongest tony storm performance i've ever seen though un- perhaps unsurprisingly uh it was shana who really impressed me here um and i thought like this was one of her best performances of the year like really incredible stuff from her as she like gets across this idea that um usually she just like steamrolls opponents um due to a combination of like her size and her her um experience in combat sports 
And while her inexperience in wrestling itself um, can often bite her in the ass, like usually she has enough, uh, just enough verve and enough aggression to get by. And here she runs into someone, A, who she's kind of familiar with from the indie scene, which is not something she could say with a lot of her other opponents. Um, and B, somebody who is like at least booked really strong, um, especially in WWE. Um, and so like Storm gives her a lot of trouble and Sheena has to like compensate for that without letting Storm know that she's getting so far. And like Sheena, she does a lot here to, at least to me, she does a lot here to like retain her confidence and retain, like put up this front that like nothing is wrong and she's just going to keep uh, ruining this moment for Tony Storm and bowling right over her. Um, but eventually it, it, it culminates with this big count out finish, which is like the cheapest thing you could do. And it feels totally in line with like who Shayna is, like where she is at this point in her career. Um, and it makes Storm look like so much more capable and so much more like, um, like effective than she normally is. Like she's booked real strong in like wherever she goes, but like she doesn't always necessarily like live up to that in my opinion. Um, but here, like she puts in good work and combined with like, a finish that makes her look good. Like she, she comes across looking quite strong too. Right. And we like hearing you talk about Shayna, you know, gradually showing chinks in the armor after she came in so dominant Mm. and now someone who's presented to be on like, you know, maybe like close to her level, at least like physically, um, is, is coming in. Now Shayna is fine seeking the, uh, cheap victory or something a little dirty. And that's, um, something I've liked about the Shayna title run, but also reminds me of the Oscar run. And sure. I'm curious on where you stand on that because it's sort of weird to have someone like Shayna who's like dominated the title picture since last January. And here we are, um, still in 2019 in January, dominating the title picture, just coming off of Oscar who had this big long reign at NXT. And her last year was about her like struggling and people getting close, getting close to her and Oscar winning by the skin of her teeth. And maybe just to compare for a second, just to see where your mind is at, maybe to say, if you really prefer Shayna that much over like so many people, do you like this reign more than the Oscar reign, so to speak? Um, I don't know. Like, uh, one thing I think you're alluding to here is like the idea that it, it feels sort of stale. Uh, in comparison, or it, it's just it's something we've seen before and seen so recently. Yeah, well, yeah, I won't call it stale. It's just like it's fu- it's really noticeable how mm-hmm. like these are similar reigns so close to each other. Yeah, like um, I first mentioned that with the Ember Moon match that we talked about at the end of the last podcast. Um, and I think at least in those two Moon matches, it's an overt thing that they're referencing, like the fact that um, Oscar's dominance is still fro- so fresh in ember's mind and i like it in that sense um I, I i would agree that like that it's kind of silly that they would just run this same story again and have been running it essentially with different characters for like the last three years um but i enjoy i enjoy the ways that this is uh a different story or at least a story that unfolds differently because Shayna has such an experience in professional wrestling and she has to uh, long before ever, uh, long before Oscar ever had to, she has to resort to like these underhanded tricks. Um, and I think, I mean, as far as match quality goes, like Sheena has had far, far better matches to me, um, as re- is going to be evidenced by where I have them on this list. But, um, um, I'm not sure if I necessarily 
like it more. I think it like accomplishes different things. And I think, I think at least as of now, it helps that Shayna is actually making people. Like we mm. just like this is literally coming like an hour and a half after that Bianca Belair match that people were raving about and people thought uh, Belair was like incredible in. Like I I think it helps that Shayna is actually um, creating new stars or at least giving people the sorts of rubs that Asuka sort of never did. Uh right, and then like I guess like we could finish like continue this conversation maybe when we get to uh, a match a match or maybe matches that you have higher, mm-hmm. but. You know, Asuka, at least at that point in time, they weren't ever focused on building up other women when right. Asuka was there, which Asuka was never in a position to really put someone over. And I, and I don't hate that as long as it, it doesn't go on too long and it's not, it's not the worst, <laughs> like it is with uh. someone like, say, Brock Lesnar. Um, but I think, I think at least thus far with the Shayna run, like it's, it's, it's been even better than the Asuka run in that regard, in, in being able to, like, do something interesting with characters and with um, people who, like, need to look good coming out of these matches. All right, uh, we can move on now. What's your 49? My 49 is a match that uh, you referenced. It wasn't on your list, but you referenced in our last podcast. It's ACH defending the AAW heavyweight title against Ray Phoenix at AAW's Never Say Die 2018. Okay, I like, I like this, mm-hmm. but I know, like, this... You really love this for some reason. Yeah, this was like, um, this was the match that like kicked off my super worker ACH run. Like this idea that like, oh my God, ACH is like a top 10 wrestler in the world. He is such a phenomenal baby face. Um, and he's, he's like doing so much to make AEW feel meaningful in a way that it hasn't in years. Um, and, and like, this was the beginning of all of that. It wasn't this isn't obviously like this isn't where he wins the title from phoenix but this is their rematch like two months after the fact um and it's it's like that yearly i guess this happens a lot in AEW, so maybe it's strictly an AEW thing but it's like that yearly match with at least one person that i sort of hate where they do everything right and somehow get into my good graces and it results in a match that I really love. Like last year, I think Sammy Callahan versus Michael Elgin was a great example of that. Um, and in this one, like Phoenix comes into it super hot and tries to do everything he can to just bowl over ACH and keep him off his toes. And obviously with Phoenix's style, you can imagine where that goes, but instead of it just feeling like, um, just like a mindless spot fest. It has an urgency and an energy to it that I adore. And they keep it super short. It's like seven minutes long for a main event of a, a fairly big AEW show, which is, I think really impressive. Um, and they, they build, they build off of like existing themes that ACH often uses, such as his bum ribs, um, and his ability to, uh, to like work through that pain, but to constantly suffer the agony of it. Um, and I, and I think like, I think it it does it does things that I usually hate in a really clever way. Um, most notably with the finish, wherein uh, ECH goes for a superplex, barely hits it, like almost loses his footing on the way down and kills the both of them. Like it's a really <laughs> it's a really scary thing. But he like barely hits the superplex and then rolls through with it, which I I despise. Like it's a Davy Richard spot that I fucking hate. Because I think something like a superplex, something like a move off the top rope should have like some weight to it and not be something you can just like roll right through. But here, ECH like rolls right through it and hits his brain buster, his like big finish to 
get the win. And it feels, at least in this moment, it feels like something he had to do. Like, it feels like something that, um, if he didn't take this big shot that was going to, like, kill him in the process, like, he wasn't going to win the match. And, and, like, doing doing everything with a character who I, I dislike with Ray Phoenix, doing everything in a match to build to something that on paper sounds as stupid as that and making it feel believable and interesting to me. I think that's, I think that's awesome. My number 49 is another match you mentioned uh, in the first part. It's Trevor Lee versus Andrew Everett from CWF mid Atlantic. Uh, was, was, was it November 8th? Something like that. Yeah. It was late in the year. It was, I think the CWF rumble, right? Was it the rumble? It's, it, I think it was the same show, I believe. Yeah. But then I got to remember that CWF started airing stuff real late. Totally. This is the first of two Trevor Lee matches on my mm. list. And I'll be totally honest, it's something I talked about on the top 50. I, it hurt me a lot to have a, to have Trevor Lee sort of have a limited year as to where uh-huh. I didn't love a lot of his stuff. Um, a lot of that is to do, due, to fa- due to the fact that, one, he's just held the CWF title for way too long. Sure. Um, he's not really getting focused on in AW right now or what or wasn't for um most of twenty eighteen, even though he was in the wrestling stable. Um And he had a mid- title. Yeah, yeah, you know, and he had he had the heritage title and it was just a lot of stuff that was good but yeah. didn't really go past a certain level in PWG he's getting he was getting de emphasized and he had that last sort of Hail Mary against uh um Darby Allen in twenty eighteen and he just had the title match with Jeff Cobb that I'm really interested in seeing. Totally. But for the most part, it was a really subdued Trevor Lee year. And, you know, I'm someone that's really, really loved Trevor Lee for the last couple of years. And I really badly wanted to get Trevor on my list. And this was the match or the first match that reminded me like, man, Trevor's so fucking good. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time Trevor Lee and Everett have wrestled each other since their Mm. Uh, absolute justice match in 2016 in CWF, which was like, I went five on it and I think mm-hmm. it was like, like definitely top five for legendary. Yeah. For my, for my matches of the year that year. And while Andrew definitely isn't as good in this match as he was in that one, Trevor is mm. still just on that same level. And is that reminder that you love getting sometimes about when someone is still really good? Just because they haven't been in your eye, they haven't been on the top on the top of your brain for most of the year, it's that reminder, like, man, Trevor Lee is like top five, maybe top three in the world level talented. Mm. He ha- he has it. And seeing him just show it all off here, I loved. It doesn't have the depth that the twenty sixteen match had, uh it doesn't have the nastiness, doesn't have any of that, but still at its core level of just being too really exciting athletic guys and one of them being best in the world level talented and being the best guy at controlling the beginning stages of a match mm. it, it's still really awesome stuff yeah like i liked um this this touches on a lot of the themes you usually get from trevor like his ability to control the pace of a match or at least to outpace other opponents in matches and and this obviously touches on that with andrew um coming out of the gate real high and like getting super far against him with some high flying um, that feels like really exciting in a way that like I, I normally don't get from Everett matches. I'm usually not super impressed with him. Um, but here, like two guys who know each other well, who've known each other since they were kids, like came together and and put their efforts into something that I liked a whole lot. Yeah. 
You can go ahead with your 48. My 48, I believe, is something you're going to have a little higher than me. It's Matt Riddle taking on a Will Ospreay for the Evolve title at the WWN Live Super Show. Yeah, we'll get to that tonight. And my 48 is a match that you'll have higher, maybe significantly higher, is Bobby Gunn versus Mike Bailey from WWE 16 Karat Gold Knight 2. We'll also talk about it tonight, uh, just not quite not just not quite yet. Initially, I had it a lot higher, but yeah. Um, so instead, we could talk about something I'm not even sure you necessarily saw, uh, which is Aleister Black defending the NXT Championship against Lars Sullivan at NXT TakeOver Chicago 2. I did, and I really like this, and it's sad that the, like, the main thing people remember from this is the whiffed kick. Totally, yeah. Like, it's, um, um, honest to God, this is like... Honest to God, this is probably my favorite NXT title match since 2014. Um, I believe you. I like it's 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 something that I really liked. I, I talked about on the last podcast. I talked about like how much I was impressed by Sullivan in 2018, and I think Black is a guy who, um, despite a couple bad habits or despite some like a surprisingly uninteresting character, despite the fact that like he has such a cool look and has like an interesting backstory in real life. Um, sort of a guy who, like, I never feel like I care about. Um, but here, like, they, they put those efforts together, um, and made, like, a match that mechanically was so thrilling. Watching, like, this big ogre of a man take these huge swipes at this small little guy who is, like, um, so fucking impressive with his kicks. And watching him, like, stick and move and try not to get just torn in half by Lars Sullivan was, like, super fun. Um, and, like, the, the big thing everyone remembers, as you said, was, like, a whiff kick toward the end, and also Sullivan getting his jaw busted up real bad on a bicycle knee, I believe. Um, and even if, like, that sort of stuff sucks, like, I think, like, there's so much good quality action in this match, like, action that doesn't feel bloated, or, um, or even, like, like, it's, it's simple stuff, but it's not stuff that I feel is run-of-the-mill like it's not it's stuff i've seen before but it's not stuff that feels unimpressive because of that reason um and instead it's just it's something that's really straightforward and uses its simplicity to its advantage um and i really appreciated it and it was it was sad to see sullivan get hurt because he spent a couple months on the shelf and and uh didn't really get to have the end of the nxt run that he probably would have had otherwise but it was i thought this was terribly impressive yeah, and I really enjoyed this too. And it's just like, one, I think Lars is like deserved to go on a better note than like, you mm. know, getting, getting, getting remembered for that spot. And, you know, it's, it was the, it wasn't obviously the end of it. I think it's like the only Alistair match that, uh, made your list. Mm-hmm. But was, I really enjoyed his 2018 for the most part. And I think, I don't, I don't think you ever got around to seeing that Johnny Gargano match. Um, I don't think I did. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, but even for that match being like sort of iffy, and I'm you know me willing to blame that more um on on Gargano in that case, I thought that guy had a surprisingly strong 2018. Yeah, it's like he was he was able to um despite the fact that he was so often admired in the the shitty parts of the story between Gargano and Ciampa, I think he was a guy who, like, didn't necessarily get dragged down into it and was just having, like, quality matches and quality performances regardless. Mm. Uh, my number 47 is a match I don't know how you feel about, honestly. It's Zack Sabre Jr. versus Chris Ridgway from IPW Brutalism. Oh, no, I, I really enjoyed this. It didn't make my list. I, I thought about it for a while, but no, it, it didn't get on here. Um, So for me, this was... 
well, one, at this point I was, I was still sort of iffy on Ridgeway and mm-hmm. how his year was going to go. And Zach is, com- Zach is coming off like a really strong January and, uh, all that stuff is early in the year. Yeah. This is like April, right? I think. Yeah. Um, around that, maybe, maybe even March. It's, it's just really early in the year. And, uh, I didn't like their match from, uh, Riptide. As much as they had, mm-hmm. I think maybe in like even earlier in the year or even or in 2017, but this is really awesome mat wrestling, really smart, nasty. Um, is very committed. They they turn mm-hmm. it up towards the end, but it's a lot of that mat wrestling stuff that I really eat up. And Chris Ridgeway held his own, and it's something that I've no- that I noticed in Ridgeway's uh, matches with Zach that happened in 2018 is that. I, I would consider Zach to probably be the best guy at the sort of like, you know, being the all-arounder, the striker, the grappler, and all that stuff style. Ridgeway held his own with Zach for the, for most of the way throughout all their matches. And I think this was easily the best Ridgeway match of 2018. And I loved how aggressive it felt Ridgeway was trying to be to get a win over Zach. And for Zach, it's another day at the office. He's not particularly threatened by Ridgeway, but Ridgeway did wrestle this like it was his biggest match to date, and it was, and I think that made for something really fun to watch. Yeah, I don't um I don't remember a whole lot of specifics of this. Like I can't recall if this was something where I felt that uh these two were like really knocking it out of the park with their performances, or if it was something where like um I have a nagging memory of it being a match where like two wrongs don't make a right but three do like where they did things that normally would have annoyed me but in such a way that i ended up enjoying it um but regardless yeah like i do i do have a fond memory of this match all right so next up at 46 i've got a match that uh you i think had on your list last time it's a hideki suzuki and daisuke sakimoto taking on the astronauts the tag team of takuya namura and fuminori abe from japan uh big japan's uh tag league from uh, August the 12th. Yeah, that's the match I have on here. Um, this one, initially when we were talking about this in the Slack a couple of weeks ago, I believe, um, I initially thought I, I appreciated their first match more, but I thought about it a little more, and I think I like this one because it's like, it's more than just a squash, and it shows the ways that like guys like Nomura and Abe are really good at pushing, um, pushing their bigger, stronger, more experienced opponents as far as they can go. Um, the big heavyweights, like, take a cheap shot to open up this match, like, they rush them before the bell and try to hit, like, this big, uh, I think it was, like, a big doomsday device bulldog or some shit. Yeah. Um, and they, they can't, uh, they can't hit it, and the smaller guys slip free and apply, like, just some really awesome textbook tag team wrestling, um, like keep their opponents off their feet and swarm them as much as they can tag in and out really quickly. And it's really cool to see um, guys like Sekimoto and Suzuki, like totally, um, totally get swept up by smaller feistier little dudes and watching them resort to just outright cheating in order to get past that and to get to the part where they get to stomp the dudes is really fun. I thought it has sort of a lackluster finish on paper at the very least. Like, um, Sekimoto, I think, pins Abe with, like, sort of like the tour of the islands, like mm. the reverse momentum uh, scoop slam dealio that uh, Jeff Cobb uses. And it feels sort of weird, but at the same time, I like it as, like, 
essentially the first time in the match where one of the heavyweights gets to actually flex their huge power game and just like totally squashes Abe with this move after having been kept down the entire match. And I thought, I, I thought it was like a nice escalation off of what was just an extremely exciting squash, but a squash, um, like just like a smaller level squash all the same. Yeah. Like Namura Abe and I, I will like loop and only Lorcan into this bunch too, is they haven't been like super hard push guys, at least mm. like, um, Abe Namora and at least Abe Namora aren't have, or haven't been super hardly super hard pushed in Big Japan. I know Abe gets to do a little bit more in um zero one in um, in, um Basara, but they really have like these short little sprint um quasi squashes like down to a science. Mm-hmm. They're really they're really great at them. Um, my number forty six. Is a match I mentioned in the last episode. It's Kento Miyohara versus Namichi Marafuji from All Japan Pro Wrestling, May 24th. Uh, you take this one away. So, while a lot of people prefer the Champions Carnival match, I like this because usually I'm someone that prefers the sequel to a wrestling mm-hmm. match. I'm not the, I'm not the same way with, uh, movies or even like follow-up albums, but in, in wrestling matches, I usually prefer something that is a conclusion um of a story and right here is kento's back is like up against the wall facing a legitimate legend and he has to not only retain his belt against this huge threat he's also in a position to defend the honor of his company um you know you'd, you'd be remiss to not mention the history between all japan pro wrestling and pro wrestling noah like it's history that still exists. They're cordial companies now, but you know it's it's a it's a history that matters. And the top guy in all Japan for wrestling, the face of their new era, against the old guard of uh, of Noah, is an interesting generational clash. And everything that I loved about Kento in that first match in the Champions Carnival, I think is amped up even more here. I think his selling is even better than it was. In that April match, Kento looks like he has nothing left in his tank. Kento is getting beaten down at every turn, and Kento just has nothing in him at various points in this. He looks desperate, and that's something I love in my wrestling is desperation. A lot of people, when it comes to selling, what they want is a really like a really focused job, like selling your limb and being committed to that. And that's not what I always want in my wrestling. Sometimes I just want the concept of like getting gradually beaten down and exhausted, like it being at your wit's end because you have not been able to mount up any offense and you're getting cut off and you're in a more difficult position than you've ever been in in your in your career. And I think Kento Miyahara uh exemplified that like perfectly here. Marfuji Marfuji is really focused, really driven, just like he was in the in the Champions Carnival, but Marafuji doesn't bring any, anything different. Kento does. Kento adjusts. Kento is able to persevere and get through all that stuff. And that's the story of it, is that Marafuji isn't necessarily like coasting against this guy. He still wants to beat him, but Miyahara now understands how to get past him and how to withstand all these things. And I really loved it for the conclusion of that story. And it's really a story that Kento told twice. Um, during the year 
And I think that's why I wound up being a lot higher on his year than a lot of other people because I felt like there was a stronger Kento Miyahara narrative than previous years where he's been on top in All Japan. Hmm. I uh, I didn't finish this match, but I did get to see the beginning of it, and I surprisingly liked um, the first like ten minutes or so of it. Uh, Marafuji is a guy who who does a lot of like creative offense, uh, like. Um, is real esoteric with the way that he operates in the ring a lot of the time. Um, and usually that turns me off, but here I felt that it was like really clever and it was, it was like the sort of stuff that um, like mechanically it was just like better than usual, but it also, it felt like it had a purpose here trying to keep a guy like Kento down, trying to keep a guy who's had so much momentum over the last couple of years and who is like such a capable uh, young wrestler, like someone who's easily like 10 years younger than, than, um, than Marafuji is, I believe. Uh, and so, like, I really enjoyed watching these two guys, like, try to one-up each other, but Marafuji always being a step ahead with just, um, like, some of his his most enjoyable work that I'd seen in years and years and years. And then it sort of, like, uh, it sort of, like, changed into, I think, the sort of things that you enjoyed about the match, which I wasn't so hot on. But for, like, ten minutes or so, I was, like, surprisingly into it. I think that's really, like, the like when Marfuji's been at his best the last couple of years is when he's been put in a position to look like he's one step ahead of somebody. Someone that sure. isn't necessarily, like, used to him is, sure. is, what, is what I liked about him versus Okada in their 2016 matches. And what I liked about these two Kento matches is that when Marfuji is coming in as the outsider and he's coming in going against, against the top guy, it feels like that person just isn't prepared for them or prepared for him mm-hmm. and like what Marfuji offers. And I really enjoy that aspect of, uh, Marfuji's, uh, later career work, even if it's super hit or miss. Uh, but that was my 46, uh, your 45. My 45 is my highest ranked Eddie Kingston match. And it's him taking on ACH at AEW's Windy City Classic. Yeah, I don't think I got around to this one. Um, this was the last thing that I watched from... Well, I don't know if it was the last thing I watched. But it was like the last thing to be added to this list. Um, something that bumped a match that we're going to talk about later. <laughs> um, uh, but to me, like it was like... It was these two finally clicking. Um, these are two longtime friends. People who had been embroiled in a feud for most of the year. Um, and who had two previous matches before this that like i sort of liked but had like real problems with and matches that i felt were like um either like just didn't click mechanically or felt very overblown in certain spots and i could completely understand if someone watched this match and felt the same way but here i think they they really got on the same page um this is like just an out and out brawl you know we talked about how ach has surprisingly heavy hands and he's like really good in in that setting where he can just hit somebody and hit somebody hard and kingston obviously has been doing that his entire career and is like in my opinion one of the best people to ever do that sort of style and so watching the two of them have this have this match in which um ach is like trying to prove to kingston that he doesn't have to cheat and he doesn't have to take liberties with somebody to get ahead in his career doesn't have to do those things to be a great wrestler um and watching kingston like totally embroil himself in that strategy uh and eventually like come to come to a very um come to a very emotional conclusion realizing that he alienated a friend of his for basically no reason at the end um watching all of that happen with such like a fun, snappy, um, scrappy, hard-hitting match was just awesome to me. Mm. 
and um, it's definitely in that uh, batch of matches from 2018 that I didn't get around to that I plan on seeing before turning in my mm. We Don't Know Wrestling 100 ballot. Uh, my number 45 is Daisuke Sakimoto and Kazusada Higuchi versus Kanosuke Takashida and Shunma Katsumata from DDT June 5th. This didn't make my top 100. It's in my recommended matches, so why don't you tell us about it? So, I really, really loved the Sekimoto and Higuchi tag team that we got in 2018. Mm-hmm. It's Everything was super enjoyable that they did together. And I'm a big fan of All Out. All Out um, has been, I wouldn't say a revelation, but because I was always on the All Out train going back mm-hmm. to um, 2017 and the beginnings with uh, just Takashita, Diego, and Akito. I always really liked them. And I think they took that next step into feeling like a really established unit in 2018. And a big part of that was establishing one Shunma Katsumata, a mm-hmm. real fiery uh, guy that flies around a lot, but has a lot of heart, a lot of spunk, uh, a lot of fight in him. And I loved seeing these big two behemoths in Sekimoto and Higuchi mm. uh, just fuck. Katsumata up and Takashita, um, the bigger, way more physically imposing member of the group have to come in at times and, uh, and save them. It made for a really interesting match of Shunma doesn't know when to stay down or stay out of the fight and let Takashita handle things. They would isolate Shunma being the weaker member of the group and the most so small too. Yeah. Like, like again, like especially compared to these guys, like super small and. They would isolate him and try to keep Takashita at bay as much as possible. And I love the spots where Takashita comes in and cleans house and saves him. Mm-hmm. But at, at the end of the day, they isolate Shunma to end the match. And Shunma has no chance. He fights valiantly, but they're too big. They're too strong for him. And Shunma just didn't have enough. And it's super simple, super straightforward. But it was a really enjoyable match. Mm-hmm. This was another another one of those like really good Sekiguchi, um, Higu- or Sekiguchi, uh, yeah, Sekiguchi, yeah. um, Sekimoto and Higuchi tag team matches and the culmination of like a, a pretty good year for Shunma Katsumata. Um, but really it was, it was Takashita who, in, who impressed me here, a guy who I'm not always super on board with, especially in his, his bigger singles matches. But here I thought he like very believably and very interestingly, uh, played the part of like the big brother to a much smaller, um, a much smaller partner and someone who's like way further down the card. I always liked Takashita as a tag guy, but honestly, I, I think he's a lot better now than he was back in Happy Mot- Happy Motel. Totally. Yeah, I, I, he's really grown um, into being like you know the senior leading member of that of that mm-hmm. unit, and especially shines here with the uh, Shunma, who at that time was the most, was the most junior member of the group. My forty four were just to get this out of the way. It's something you're going to have a whole lot higher than me. Uh, it's another tag match. It's the Golden Lovers, Kota Ibushi and Kenny Omega, taking on the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson at New Japan's Strong Style Evolved. And yeah, we'll get to that on the third part of the series. Um, my number forty four is a match I believe you mentioned in the last episode. It's Soberano Jr. versus Barbara Cavernario from CMLL, July tenth. Uh huh. This was my lucha match of the year. So it's interesting. You like this more than the uh, match from March. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought this was like just bigger. Mm. Um, and and usually that's not always something that makes it better to me, but in this case, it did. Okay, I'm gonna have a lot more to say when we when I get to the March match on my list. So I'm gonna I'm, I want mm-hmm. I want you to take it away on this one. 
Well, I mean, this one, like, these are two guys who know each other extremely well, who first met up, I think, in, like, years ago in that, um, in Busca de un Idolo tournament. Um, and, like, they've worked together on and off for years now and are super great together. Um, and at least in 2018, were probably the best Technico and the best Rudo in Mexico. Um, and so, like, they have, uh, they have a big, probably main event. If not a main event, it was, like, a marquee match, uh, marquee title match here on a Guadalajara show, uh, wherein they beat the snot out of each other, like send each other into, into the ring posts with these Irish whips on like this hardwood floor that looks awful to bump on and like ripping at masks and pulling at hair and doing all sorts of revenge spots. It was just, it was everything that I like out of a, um, not, not even like brawl heavy, but brawl intensive and very mean and spirited, uh, lucha title match yeah it it has a lot of the typical lucha title match stuff they do employ some some mat work it's not as straightforward um straightforwardly aggressive or out the gate aggressive as the march matches but they sure. bleed but they bleed those two things together the um prototypical lucha title match style and the fact that these two really don't like each other and have a heated feud going on and mm. i love the marriage of those two things yeah, def- uh, by far the best pairing in Mexico in, mm-hmm. in 2018. And they just had another really good match on a Fantastic Mania. And it's not to sound like hyperbolic, but it's like really like the most, like the best program or the program I've at least enjoyed the most since we had Dragon League Kamatachi going on. Totally. And it's definitely, it's not in the same vein. It's not as go, go, go. It's a lot more selling. It's not a lot more selling heavy than mm-hmm. those matches were. But still, it's some of the most enjoyable stuff I've seen in Mexico in some time, and I'm definitely going to get more in-depth with that when it comes to the March match that's on my list later on. Uh, my number 43, once again, is is going to be something you have a little higher than me. It's Jordan Devlin defending the OTT world title against Walter at <laughs> WrestleRama 2. Holy shit, I thought you liked this way more. I mean, it's not like I don't like it. It's just like, I think this was like a strong year for high-end stuff. Right. And I, yeah, and I just thought that you, that you would have had this higher because i don't know how hot you Mm. were on devlin's performance here yeah like when we'll talk about it in a bit but it's only 43 okay um my number 43 is a match you mentioned on the first episode it's aj styles versus samoa joe from super showdown Mm, the rematch okay why don't you take it away so I know, um, I know when we were, when we did the, uh, we don't know wrestling, always Barry, formula is always Barry Tanner's, uh, when Evan said that this was his main roster match of the year, uh, Devin, Devin Hales sort of scoffed at it. And mm. maybe that was just like the reality of the fact that like in our little chat, that's like so insular, insular and like we all have similar <laughs> tastes that maybe we were, maybe we were just like, um, super high on this and like no one else was. Oh, it was like that. It was okay. Yeah. And like, you know, maybe, maybe that's the case, but like, regardless, like I love this match. I don't think I loved it as much as um, uh, Simon or Evan did, but it, and I, and I, and I don't like it more than a SummerSlam match that that we'll get to at some point. But right, it's it, it has a lot of the same great stuff, and it does something that I really enjoy in my wrestling is a like, <laughs> well, one a mid match injury, which feels like super mm. real and organic, totally, and. Another thing is AJ just punishes him. I 
mm-hmm. love when we get to see like a guy that has tormented him and fucked with him way more than necessary during the course of this feud and AJ just lets him have it and I love babyface revenge it's something that I enjoy I know it's something that we talked about um mm. and something like Gargano versus Ciampa and why maybe like it you know narrative wise you know makes sense but just didn't feel right coming off of New Orleans and all that stuff like here babyface revenge made perfect sense because obviously AJ hadn't beaten Samoa Joe yet and right here was him completely vanquishing Samoa Joe and I think I like the finality of it in the fina- in the finality of AJ just putting this guy completely in his rear view and besides that they have awesome chemistry these guys work well together have put on classics together and I wouldn't go as far as to say like this is a classic by any means but it's two guys that have been in the business together for a really long time and delivered and did some really creative stuff did some really unique stuff did some stuff that I haven't I didn't really get to see anywhere else other than maybe a couple of matches in 2018 and I like seeing those kind of ideas get implemented yeah like I, I think I had this back up in the 70s or the 80s somewhere around there um, and it's it's partially because I think Joe Joe does like really well in this matchup to a point like the first few minutes of that um, that mid match injury angle where it's like holy shit like I don't know if this is real or not because the way because the uh, way he I'm, lands is like so weird mm-hmm. like a big guy coming down on his knee in a in a real rough way it's like it was it was real organic um, but but afterwards like some of his selling sort of sort of missed the mark for me and this match features like a lot of sloppiness that comes that comes just naturally um from two guys who've been wrestling for so long and who are having um a real aggressive match uh but i i really liked aj's performance here i I think that you mentioned that um not just in like being so fucking mean with his strikes but also like covering for joe's slip-ups or reacting to the way the match is unfolding in really cool ways like for example with I think it's the actual finish where um, he's trying to apply the um, uh, the calf crusher, the calf slicer, whatever you want to call it, and he can't really get a hold of Joe's entire leg, so he like claws at his kick pad in order to pull it closer and closer yeah. to him, and it felt like it felt like the sort of thing that like I wouldn't have seen someone who was twenty five do. Like it, it was the it was the sort of thing where like a guy who's been working for so long and like knows how to just. Um, power through something and get it done because he has to have a strong finish like it felt like a moment like that and i don't i don't necessarily see that a lot from a guy like aj styles and i was glad to see it here all right my number 42 is oh no that's your match my bad go ahead uh, my 42 is one of the tightest matches of the year. It's Freddie A. High versus Tim Thatcher from WXW Inner Circle 6. Barely missed my list. Uh, did you end up seeing this? Oh, yeah, I did. I love this. Because it was like, it was the sort of thing that like I felt I was super high on and I heard no one else talk about. I, mean, I saw it. I loved it. Like I said, it was like, if it was like a top 120, then it would have made it. Totally. It was. Um... I had enjoyed what I'd seen from these two before, like back in Evolve, back in uh, 2017. Uh, but this like felt like the culmination of the two of them coming together. And it was just like so fucking rough, so crisp, and so meaningful in everything they do. Like just hitting each other super hard, uh, running through some of the best grappling I've seen all year. Um, Yehai hits like 
maybe the two scariest power bombs I've ever seen in this match. Like we we talked about it before, Thatcher's like a big guy. It's it's sort of impressive to see him get thrown all over the place by anybody, much less someone as small as Yehai. And he folds up Thatcher on top of his head in ways that seemed perfectly safe, but were horrifying to watch. Um, and watching them just like go tooth and nails at it for like eight, 10 minutes in this small, intimate little environment was just aces for me. Mm. It was really intense, really mean. Uh, like I said, it's a lot of super enjoyable stuff. Just mm. if we, had, if we were doing like a one twenty again, would have made my, would have made my list. Uh, I get it. My 42 is Zack Sabre Jr. versus Kota Ibushi from New Japan Cup, March 15th. Uh, this one did not make my list. I thought I was going to have the G1 match on here, but this one this one I don't remember too well. Um, yeah, for, yeah, I do have the G1 match higher. Um, for me, it's definitely just a, another step in what's a budding... Uh, mm. great sort of like matchup. One called called a rivalry, but great series is Zack Saber Jr. and Kota Ibushi. They have stellar chemistry. Is he? Um, Kota has by far been Zack's best opponent in New Japan so far, and then they just went out here and did it again. They have a great way of meshing with each other. Uh, he, Zack doesn't try to force Kota in, into his game. He doesn't try to force. Kota into uh sort of like selling a selling a limb for an extended period of time. What it is is they these matches feel like chess, sort of. It feels like Zach is obviously the better grappler, but it's not like Kota is some slouch on the mat. And Kota is obviously the better striker, but it's not like some Zach Zach is some slouch with striking either. So it feels like they're constantly at odds trying to bait each other into certain stuff. And these both these guys are so quick and so slick and really elusive in the ring. So seeing them just work around and just move is so enthralling to me. They are they are two of the guys that I think move the uniquest in wrestling. I I, I regard Zach as one of the fastest guys in a wrestling mm. ring, even if he's not like um, a flyer or whatever. The way he moves around. Or not even like he's he's not a guy who like runs the ropes quickly, yeah. but he moves quickly. Yeah, Zach is just super quick, you know, in a way that like Mike Quackenbush is. And Kota is more the prototypical, wow, he's athletic and super fast kind of thing. But I think that makes it work. It's it's an athletic spectacle in a way that's not Ricochet versus Will Ospreay. It's right. two guys that are super athletic and using their athleticism and their skill to do really smart stuff. And I think that's what I like most about their matches. This one doesn't have anything super stand out, super, uh, super standout-ish. The G1, the G1 match does. And I'll talk about that when we get there, but it's a fantastic series and something that I'm always going to be open to more of. All right. So next up is a match that I think you're going to have quite a bit higher than me. It's Zack Sabre Jr., our favorite, taking on David Starr, another favorite of ours, in the Tetsujin Tournament. Yeah, got that a lot higher. Uh, my 41 is Jonathan Gresham versus Filthy Tom Lawler from Black Label Pro, January 13th. Mm. I didn't I didn't end up liking this as much as I thought I would. Uh, I don't know, man. For me, it goes super long. It goes mm. maybe like 10 minutes longer 
arguably like 15 minutes longer than it needs to. But I enjoyed every second of it. I en- I enjoyed the mat work here. I enjoy, well, the shooting of it looks great. Um, you know, things mm. that swerve, swerve video and all that stuff. But I don't, I don't know. I really in, just enjoyed the mat wrestling here. It's some of the most enjoyable stuff that I, uh, that I saw from that aspect of wrestling in 2018. Something that really sold me on Tom Lawler, which, um, I wasn't, um, already due to just not seeing a whole bunch of them prior to, prior to this. Uh-huh. But I love Tom selling here. I love the uh, moments where Tom is in control. Um, it sort of switches because you don't know who's trying to be what. It's like when the match starts, you don't know because Tom is sort of what at that point was sort of a, a career heel, heel, sure. heel and MLW and all that stuff. And Jonathan Gresham has been heelish, um, and all that, but he's been mainly a baby face in Ring of Honor and everything else. So, and, and not the sort of guy to like walk into what I think was his debut in the company yeah. and be a main event level heel. Yeah. So it was weird as well as to alignment, but I feel like all that stuff just didn't matter just because of how much I liked the work in it. It's mm. a lot of little stuff, a lot of mat wrestling. Tom is very much, uh, more rooted into the MMA aspect of mat wrestling. Jonathan Gresham more, um, catch and world of sport inspired, but. I really like that matchup. I really, really like the Styles Clash it creates. It's sort of the same reason why I like the Jonathan Gresham and Thatcher matches. It's guys that have like different approaches to that, to grappling and seeing which one comes out on top. And like I said, it maybe goes too long, but too long doesn't really bother me. And I enjoy watching it from beginning to end. Um, next up, we've got a match that I, I don't believe you even saw. Coming at us from Chikara, it's Fist, the team of Icarus, Travis Huckabee, and Tony Deppin taking on the, as of yet, unnamed trio of Fire Ant, Green Ant, and Thief Ant from King of Trios 2018 Day 2. So they're not just the colony? They weren't at this point. Okay. There, there's like a big, there was a big story of like these guys not being on the same ca- uh, on the same page. Uh, this, this Green Ant, the second guy to use that name, and Thief Ant, they're both rookies, and, um initially initially were distrusted mistrusted whatever that word is by fire ants by this guy who who for several years now has had a story going of like being the last ant left standing after other guys have retired Mm. or have been killed off and and whatnot um so like there's there's this big there's a big narrative of this match of these teams having a long history with each other. Um, only Icarus and Fire Ant are the, are the like remaining members of that earlier feud, that legendary feud from 10, 11 years ago. Um, but like, there's so many like neat callbacks and escalations of like prior meetings between these teams and um, the ways that these new members interact with each other and interact with the old guard in ways that is like so refreshing and so gratifying for a longtime Chikara fan like myself. Like this is this is the most Chikara match of the year. This is the sort of thing that like is so insular, is so up its own ass, but is like so endearing because of that for me. Um, and it's also like mechanically really strong. It's a long match as the main event of night two, which is uh, historically on King of Trios usually like a real crowd pleasing match, uh, and it goes like uh, well over thirty minutes, which with f- with three guys who are like less than two years in the business is quite impressive because like they don't miss a step 
uh, at any point here and everyone like tags in uh, quickly in and out and and like does what they can to hold up the quality of the entire thing while hitting all these cool emotional points hitting all these cool story points and doing like just some huge stuff in the ring like um in particular i remember i remember um god there's this one there's this one drop kick that they do that always makes me cry it's like the it's a colony thing that is like a callback that we're going to talk about when we eventually do our chikara podcast um but there's like big splashes off the top, um, big reversals with um, long time submission moves that are like a big deal in Jakara. Like all sorts of things that like were so rewarding for me. And like I couldn't, I couldn't not have it on a high spot on my list because I just, I absolutely loved it in a way that like I don't love a lot of wrestling. Mm-hmm. My number forty is a match. I'm not sure you saw. It's Kasahiko Nakajima and Masa Kitamiya versus Go Shiozaki and Kaito Kiyomiya from Pro Wrestling Noah, May 29th. Oh, no, this was the, this was the bit one, right? Uh, no, 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 no. The first. Oh, is it not? Is it? Um, so. They had a match that was the, ta- that was, um, the tag league finals. No, okay. no, 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 no. They had a title match after, uh, Go and Kaito won the tag league. And which Go and Kaito won. That'll be higher on sure. my list. This is the follow up okay. in Kurokin. Um. So in the first uh, Gokai versus Aggression match, uh, we see Kaito, uh, Katsuhiko and Masa work over Go Shiozaki's leg, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a big deal, and they really isolate Go. Uh, throughout the entire match with the hopes of taking him out and pinning him and Kaito uh, doesn't allow it, Go Shiozaki he's fighting, it's a great performance from both those guys and that's something I'll get more in depth on obviously when I talk about that match in particular, here we are with the follow up and Go Go Shiozaki's leg is still hurt and Nakajima and Kitamiya who are firmly into their heel roles at this point are even more sleazy, even more underhanded, and even more willing to do whatever it takes. So, out the gate, they're on go. They are on go as soon as the bell starts, and there's re- there's really no waste of time. Something I've loved, I loved about Nakajima in 2018 is his fucking smirk. He is mm. so shitty. It is an it's, it's a great look, and looking at nakajima as like this diabolical mastermind is something i never would have thought you know mm. 10 years ago watching the guy but here we are and go shiozaki sells delay brilliantly again it's another great kaito performance um as he as he has to uh bear all the weight of his team and this time unlike their first encounter nakajima and kitamiya are able to pick up the win and this goes into the bigger Kaito story of 2018 mm. in that Kaito is like, is the rookie here. Kaito theoretically should be the weaker member of the group and they should be go up going after him. But here they are isolating Go Shiozaki. Go Shiozaki was the weak link of their first tag match and he didn't score the fall. That was Kaito. Here we are with Nakajima Kitamiya winning the match and Go Shiozaki is the weak link again. And Shiozaki takes the fall. And even back then, you know, not knowing 
what the end goal was for for Kiyomiya in 2018. I thought that was a brilliant bit of, bit of bucking. And Goshi Ozaki in those two matches is some is like some of my favorite selling that I saw all year. And I'm really excited to talk about that when we get to the April match. But mm. for now, just know that this was really awesome and they continued the story. Uh, so my 39 is a match that you had uh, higher on your list. It's uh, Jonathan Gresham versus Timothy Thatcher from Nova Pro's Harlem Knights. I had that at 66. Um, this was a match that uh, was described by a couple of friends of ours as like these two like really phoning it in, um, which I understand. Like this, this shares a lot of similarities to uh, previous matches these two have had. But even even if like these guys aren't pulling out the freshest material and even if like they're taking it sort of easy on a busy weekend i thought this fucking ruled like it's my two favorite technical wrestlers in the world it's the two best technical wrestlers in the world i think um going out there and uh doing a whole bunch of like crowd pleasing stuff doing a whole bunch of like cool acting and stuff like this was another um another thatcher match that really leapt off the page for me as in regards to like the way he carries himself in a match and what um what those actions accomplish and i thought it was a real cool um gresham babyface performance too like you see him he's always the smaller guy in a match and and you see him like have to work around that but this was like this was a um this was probably like the best example of that in 2018 and it was it was just something that like hit all the right buttons for me and i i really loved it i loved like absolutely adored that during this match Mm-hmm. Uh, other than the Walter match from Progress, which is going to come up later, mm-hmm. it's my favorite Thatcher performance of the year. I would say he like he he. I thought he was like fantastic in it. Um, sure, Gresham. I would I would say if you wanted to argue someone was phoning it in, I would say it was more on Gresham's end. But again, like phoned in Gresham is better than like ninety right. like ninety five percent of the wrestlers in the world. So you know, there's only so much. I could complain about there. Uh, my, and that was 39, right? My number 39 is a match you just mentioned a little bit ago. It is Matt Riddle versus Will Ospreay from WWN Mercury Rising. Mm, okay, why don't you take it away? I've read this match described as boring up until they... What? I've read, no, I've read this match described as boring up until the... Um, that spot? Yeah, up until the angle stuff starts. And that's wild. Yeah, and and I, and I remember like you know this is, I wasn't watching this uh show live. I don't think. Yeah, neither did I. Yeah, I, I think I caught this um maybe a day or so after the fact. And I watched this and I was blown away at, that someone thought that people thought that. I thought this was really engaging all the way through. Um, even some stuff that I like. I know a lot of my friends for like mostly would consider like hammy and telling stories uh, i think comes across really well and mm. i think it really works in the context of the weekend in the context of matt riddle had finally won the evolved title and here he is the next night and he kills a man <laughs> totally <laughs> like, I, I, and i think that really works and i think this <laughs> It's gonna sound it's gonna sound way more funny than I than I intended to be, but they somehow make Will Osprey likable in this match. Totally, and like that's well, that's really an impressive feat. As to where like I usually like Will Osprey in the ring, like the fact that he was so 
universally likable in this match, especially with the type of fans that are at Mania Weekend, like watching these shows. People that have every reason to be like apathetic or to not or to not like cheer for Will Ospreay and cheer for Matt Riddle, like they were all in on him. It was fascinating to watch, and you got to give credit to those guys. Like Will Ospreay sells it really well. Uh, you know, they're shout selling. You know, sure, but. It's something that doesn't bother me, and I like it in the context of well, Osprey had nearly broke his neck a few days ago before this, like maybe like like maybe maybe a week before this match even happens. He like that, that, that Maurice girl, um, Spanish fly spot happens in Japan. Uh, it's like yeah, this is this is on the sixth. Yeah, not not and I want to not even a week. Yeah, it's not even a week. Yeah, not yeah. even a week. So I really like how they play with that, and Riddle looks frightening Riddle yeah. looks scary riddle is relentless and super mean and nasty and i think that's what a lot of people always want from matt riddle mm-hmm. i don't think that's what matt riddle is i don't think that's what matt riddle wants to be and i feel like on some levels it would be unnatural for matt riddle to be that way all the time but sure in that moment and him picking out that weakness i loved it they make me bite on a Will Ospreay triangle choke. <laughs> right, totally. <laughs> Again, like, some of this shit, like, just shouldn't work. But it totally does. The crowd buys into it. Both guys are fantastic mm-hmm. in it. And I love these guys together. They're two, like, athletic freaks at the same time. But this match isn't about that. These guys have a bunch of very convincing near falls. You buy into the story. And it's some of the best performances you'll see from either guy. Mm-hmm. Like I, th- I think this was like very easily. Um, if it wasn't the best match either of these two have ever had, it's only number two, um, and it's 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 like as perfect as a match between these two could have been, in my mind, really. Um, and and part of that is like understanding the ways in which they still do annoy me and the ways that this still this match like still did frustrate me. But like, there's such small issues in comparison to like how. Uh, how exciting the rest of this thing is like how um how engaging it is like getting to see as you said like a riddle who's actually doing the sort of stuff that i want to see from him getting to see an osprey who feels sympathetic for once um largely due to the fact that he's not actually controlling the match and like some of like the scariest spots of the year some of like the most um i don't even know how to describe it like the most surprising spots of the year, like, again, that triangle choke that Osprey pulls out of nowhere, doesn't feel phony. It doesn't feel like it's something he's just pulling out of his ass. And again, like, and, it feels and, and like, again like, even the stuff like, you know, like, yell, like, yelling at each other during the match, like, it just works. Like, you kind of totally. just buy that, like, Riddle is, like, that serious and that intense in that moment. Um, you know, the you know people the people checking on Osprey, like, it, che- it checks off a whole lot of, quote-unquote, making stories boxes, but... It doesn't feel like it doesn't feel that way. It feels mm-hmm. very organic compared to a lot of matches in that same vein. Short too, like it, it, it's really direct in a way that like matches that these guys have aren't always like it, it's it's really great. Uh, that was my thirty nine. You can go ahead with your thirty eight. My thirty eight is a tag team match. Uh, one of the best of the year. Like in a in a in a different year, I think this would have been like honestly a top ten match of the year for me. Um. It's Aussie Open, Mark Davis and Kyle Fletcher defending the Progress Tag Titles against Chris Brooks and Timothy Thatcher from Progress Chapter 78. Yeah, love this match, but didn't make my list. This was like, um, I, I described in the last podcast, 
uh, how much I love tag team wrestling and the reasons why. And like, this wasn't a great example of that. Like this was, this was characters who were playing off of each other and, and functioning as teams in ways that I thought was like super interesting. Um, these two had had a match back in, I want to say August, somewhere over the summer that, I was into, but like, didn't love like that felt like really clunky in a lot of ways, but this one, they come back, um, with a rematch after Aussie open has, uh, beaten the odds and, and won the progress hang titles and have a match where like, they're all on the same page and just totally vibing with each other. And a lot of that comes down to Brooks and Thatcher, like meshing as a team, like feeling, um, feeling like more than just like a slapdash group of dudes put together. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, like, feeling... oh, yeah, like for reference, like that match you're talking about that happened um in mm-hmm. either July or August, that was their first time teaming together. Right. And this one they're probably not even like 10 matches deep but are like just totally right. on the same page. Right. Like, they, like they gel real quick. They're they're a well-oiled machine and the machine is designed to kill Australians and they just totally like run through Davis and Fletcher, work on um I believe they work on F- Fletcher's leg and Davis's arm, yeah. like do a real cool like uh, double limb work thing and and put them on the the defensive and like watching those two guys, like two incredibly endearing guys, two guys I like to see a lot. Uh, watching them fight from underneath against like two of the best tag team wrestlers in the world was just like so cool. Brooks and Thatcher like have outstanding control segments. It's mm-hmm. something that in the limited sample size we got from them, I loved it. But I loved their control segment that they had against Mustache Mountain on um whatever i think project mayhem night two and i think this i think this one here is even better they they Mm. are like masters of it and again it's like not to um down ring conf but like Mm. there wasn't a ring conf control segment in 2018 for me that i found nearly as engaging as this one right here they had against aussie open um for sure yeah i I loved it and that uh legwork the legwork on fletcher you're talking about was also a real big factor in their match in August too. So to see them revisit that, and I loved the final two in the final few minutes with uh, Brooks and Fletcher going at it. A whole bunch of pin combinations, which I thought was real neat and really showed um, how creative Brooks can be. And he said, this was super fun. And I'm glad you liked this as much as you did because I remember really liking that tag match uh, a few months prior and feeling like I'm, I was out on an island for liking as much as I did, and seeing the mm. second one hit you so much is real cool. So my thirty-eight is something you might have higher. You might. I have no clue about this match in particular, but it's Kuchiko Okada versus Hiroshi Tanahashi from Wrestling Tantaku. Oh no, this one, this one did not make my list. Okay. Um. So this is coming off of. Tanahashi just losing the Intercontinental title to Minoru Suzuki at New Beginning. Uh-huh. His, uh His his deep but failed run into the New Japan Cup. And on the flip side, Okada has come off beating uh, Naito, Sonata, and Zack Sabre Jr. Okada is at peak arrogance right now. And in order to break this defense's record held by one Hiroshi Tanahashi, his his big rival, Okada wants to break it by, by beating him. And he calls Tanahashi out, broken down old man, and this match really plays with a lot of the themes that 
would be um, surrounding Tanahashi's uh, 2018 and eventual uh, title win at Wrestle Kingdom uh, 14? Was it 14 or 13? Like this year, 2019? Yeah. 13, I think. Okay. Um, So, the reason why I like this and why it hits me so hard is one, like, you know, keeping this in mind of, like, the big Okada Tanahashi story that went on in 2018, revisiting a few that I love to death. It's sort of, like, reverting back in some ways. Mm. We're going back to the days of where these guys weren't kicking out of high fly flows and rainmakers. They're going back to the basics. They're simplifying things. And in that, we get a Tanahashi that at no point I can say is ever really effective to Okada. Mm-hmm. For like, it's, I like, you know, to call it a squash is like over, like oversimplifying it. Sure. But at no point does Tanahashi ever feel like a threat to him. And that's something I can't say I ever felt in any previous Okada versus Tanahashi match. Right here, Tanahashi completely felt like the broken down old man and Okada felt like God. Mm-hmm. Like, Okada was invincible here. And I think nothing nothing solidified to that um that to me more than Okada just one shotting Tanahashi with a Rainmaker. And in their last few encounters, there's been Rainmaker kickouts. Right. Tanahashi being the first guy to kick out of the kick out of a Rainmaker and all that stuff. So once you go to that well, um, you keep going back to it. And um Okada has kicked out of high fly flows and their previous encounters too so they already went there so you sort of expect that same back and forth and no they flip the, they flip all of that on his head and that's part of why okada versus tanahashi hit me so much um in all their iterations in 2018 is that they subvert like all the expectations that you had from the previous uh five years of their matches and they change everything and this is the first step in that uh, personally, like I, like I agree with everything you've said, and, and I think like on paper it should be something that I really love. Um, but I didn't like I wasn't super into Okada's invincibility. Like I, I didn't think he did anything terribly interesting or entertaining in being um so powerful. Uh, and I and I like to all ta- Tanahashi stuff. Like I'm predisposed to enjoying that a lot. And I think I think this match is still important. Uh, as in it's like it's like the lowest point that Tanahashi's at all year and it's what sets up his uh, incredible G1 run and like the two great matches that these two had later in the year Um, but this one in particular like it just it didn't do a whole lot for me it was just sort of um, sort of mundane in in ways that I felt like did well to set up the future stuff but but didn't really grab me here in the moment right and maybe like maybe like retroactively I feel like I like this match a little bit more because of how the rest of the story like played out sure. as the year went on. But still, like even at the time, I was so into it just because Okada starts off as an arrogant character. He mm. like like the audacity, the audacity to come out and challenge Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom uh, six mm. after he just had this subpar performance against Yoshihashi, and the fact that he's so arrogant. Um, and showing off when he's doing submissions and all that. Just a very showy guy. But this is the most arrogant mm. Okada's ever felt to me. And maybe the, uh, you know, Okada being so powerful stuff 
didn't work for you. But even in just his arrogance, I feel like it's just real easy to get into. Yeah, the, like he's a. He, it would be easy to compare a guy like Okada to someone like Brock Lesnar, um, but where like Lesnar is not necessarily a character that I care anything about. He's like so fun to watch in the ring just because mechanically he's mm. he's like um so enjoyable. And Okada's like really the difference. Um yeah. he's like the total opposite, like especially in twenty eighteen where like his character did some interesting things, but like the way he operates and matches like isn't something that I that I get super into. Right. And that's where like like the like the disconnect comes in, at least for, like when it's not against Tanahashi in the, in those last two matches. Totally. Um yeah, but I really enjoyed that. You can move on to your thirty-seven. My thirty-seven is a match that um, we haven't really we haven't really touched on yet, but is a match that I was over the moon about. It's the last great match of twenty eighteen. Tracy Williams defending the Powerbomb TV Independent Title against Orange Cassidy at Beyond Wrestling's Heavy Lies the Crown. I didn't get around to seeing this yet. Um, so it's it's difficult. There's like two sets of matches on here, in which I'm going to be talking about like the second meeting when i really should be talking about the first one first um and it's difficult to talk about this without first talking about david Starr versus orange Cassidy, which we'll get to eventually um but goddamn like what a match this was like it was it was so fucking cool to watch a guy like orange Cassidy, someone who i think is an incredible worker who has been um a favorite of mine for a very long time in all the sorts of different characters he plays um watching him take like this really goofy, this really nonchalant comedy character and craft him in the last couple of months of the year, craft him into the most serious title contender I've seen in so long and watching him face guys that I love like David Starr, like Tracy Williams, guys who know how to bring gravitas to, um, to a match that like in the grand scheme of professional wrestling doesn't mean a whole lot and making them feel like, it's world changing. And this is like a great example of that. Like, um, and especially like, I like how Tracy, Tracy like toys with a crowd, a crowd who is like here on, on New Year's Eve, who is like sort of just trying to have a good time. Who's already sat through most of a a long show already, who has like a crowd pleasing main event to follow this. Um, and who is super into orange Cassidy and does not enjoy the idea of Tracy Williams just defending this title and walking into 2019 as the champion. Um, and he is so much more heelish in, in this match than I've ever seen him before and, like, leans into that idea of, like, um, not just beating down his opponent but reveling in that fact, reveling in the fact that this crowd hates him. And it creates such an awesome atmosphere that, like, I just, I don't get from most wrestling, let alone, like, small, independent, northeast American wrestling. Mm. And I really enjoyed Orange Cassidy in 2018. I just... You know, that batch of matches that I'm going to get to eventually. Sure. My number 37 is a match you mentioned earlier. It is Zack Sabre Jr. versus Jonathan Gresham from ROH Final Battle. Cool, yeah. This was uh, one of the last things that I got to see in the year. And I, and I really enjoyed it. Like, it's just a um, a, a slick match from, from two guys who I know are incredible together. Right. Um, obviously, um, these guys are a couple years removed from a trilogy that me and you both really loved and raved about in our 2016 Wander Matches um, series. And in their first meeting since 2016, a lot has changed. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. um, um, in Suzuki-Goon 
And Jonathan Gresham is really like trying to find his place in Ring of Honor. Um, head trainer getting a bunch of showcase matches and time to shine. And Jonathan Gresham wanted a challenge and uh, Zack Sabre Jr. showed up on the big screen on one ROH episode and hell froze over and Zack Sabre <laughs> Jr. showed up in Ring of Honor. <laughs> and like that's some that's someone that people always wanted to see in ROH yeah. and you know, the fact that he never really wrestled um in any of the major US companies mm. um was a bit of a mystery and here we are now when Zach is finally in ROH. And a lot their earlier matches, uh even though they eventually got a little bit more nasty, mm. um, especially a beyond um Flash and American Rana, it was still this match is so much more uncooperative and nasty and mean. Hmm. Than even the stuff they had in twenty in twenty sixteen in, in the later stages, and it's more shocking because of Gresham more than it is Zach because we've seen Zach do this. I have said about Zach that he's like uh, maybe like the best performative grappler there is because he's all around. He's done everything, and Gresham is a guy where I can't really say he's delved into that style as far as like you know being more. Uh, semi-shoot, catch, more intense. That's not really his thing. He's been more into the world of sport, um, flashy British style mm-hmm. side of things. And seeing them get so intense on the mat was really alarming. And, you know, you get it. You know, there's a there's the built-in rivalry. These guys know each other so well. And instead of Zach being happy to come in to Ring of, to Ring of Honor and uh, wrestle Gresham, he disrespects him right out the gate gets in his face mushes him um pokes his chest out all that you all that usual zach stuff and gresham is just pissed and it's an insane pace again i I talked about it with zach and nakota abushi stuff it's not fast wrestling in the way you usually think of fast wrestling right but these guys move around the ring so quickly they transition and um move with each other on the mat so quickly and this match only goes about 10 11 minutes yeah it's pretty short yeah but they cram in so much neat and awesome looking stuff and i love the finish as zach doesn't get to tap out gresham Mm. he gets them in um, the european clutch and it leaves the door open for zach to return and to uh reopen this feud uh later on and that's what it felt like it felt like the first stage and something that could be really special yeah and go ahead yeah this is like that point i think uh weighed more heavily on me than it did on you or even a a bunch of other people like um this was a concept i first brought up with uh that gulak gallagher match we talked about last time and it's and it's like um dumbing something down in order to appeal to the audience you have and like that felt like this match to me like having seen their 2016 stuff or even stuff that they've done subsequently after that um this felt like such a uh such a smaller such a um step backward from those matches and it's interesting to see them like work for this new crowd and try to get across themes and ideas for this new crowd. And I think it's like a rewarding experience to see it for that. But it was also just like a really frustrating experience to be just like, I know that these guys can do so much more. I know that these guys could like completely knock it out of the park and, and to see them um, specifically hold it back and know that they were holding it back. Right. And like, you know, this is like ROH is like uh 
still like their biggest show of the year, right. how they, how they, how they see it. So I understand why they're not going to go out there and have like the Zack Sabre Jr. Jonathan Gresham, like scientific match that we're accustomed to. And I do think, um, that eventually they do have that. I do think eventually they, they, they do get the time sure. on a big, on a big show or something to go out there and do that. They teased, um, you know, these guys are like masters of like the pure wrestling style and they sort of tease like, what if they brought the, the title back, pure yeah. title, pure title back? And I'm not sure if that's something that had any salt to it. I'm not sure if that's something they're actually planning, but they talk, they talk, they talk that up a lot. And I would be surprised if we don't get a longer, more, uh, substance filled Zach versus Gresham match in the future, just based on how they were talking on commentary. Uh, but you can go ahead with your 37. Uh, no, my 37. Or 36. My 37 was Cassidy and Tracy. My yeah. 36 is a match that, based on how this podcast is going, I believe you're going to have higher. It's Kota Ibushi versus Hiroshi Tanahashi in the G1 Climax Finals. Yeah, I'm going to have that higher than you. Okay. Well, we can talk about my 36 then. It's ACH versus Trevor Lee from AW Unstoppable. Nope, I'm going to have that higher, but we'll still talk about it tonight. And instead, we might discuss another AEW match that ECH was in. Him defending the heavyweight title against David Starr from AEW's Wrestling Rules show. I have that higher. Oh boy, we're just going back and forth. Okay, um, my 35 is a match I know, I know, I know is not on your list. It's Kento Miyahara versus Zeus from All Japan Pro Wrestling, and it is July 29th. Yeah, this is, the, this is not the one that made it onto my list. Uh, so, again, obviously the... Uh, October match uh-huh. is the one that uh, got a whole bunch of praise and is going to be on both of our lists. But I really enjoyed this one too. And again, this is going to go back to a lot of the stuff I talked about with Kento versus Marafuji. And Kento this year really selling his ass off and making and looking good in defeat and being fine taking the back seat in a match. And it's on display here was Zeus and Zeus has come a long way. Uh, sure, yeah. The, the, the last uh, four or five years, he, uh, especially when the, when the initial stuff happens and uh, Suwama goes down and Akibono goes down and they're trying to find who is going to be their next champion. At that point, they have to commit to the future. And at the time, it was either going to be Kento Miyahara or it was going to be Zeus. And I maybe maybe it, maybe it's just like based on what I was seeing on my timeline, I wasn't getting like the full scope of things. But a lot of people wanted it to be Zeus at the time. Not even just I'm, wanted it to be, but a lot of people thought like Zeus was the natural choice to go with. Yeah, and seeing how things turned out with Kento, uh, Kento beat him in that final mm-hmm. to the um, to decide the champion and all that stuff. And uh, Zeus hasn't gotten a shot at Kento. Since then, it's the two top guys in all Japan, pretty much. You know, you have Suwama, who's there, and Shuji Shikawa, um, who have been uh, pillars in all Japan for the last few years. Pillars, huh? Uh, yeah, you know, new four pillars. <laughs> but it's these two defining guys of the new class of all Japan. You know, it's mm. Kento, it's Zeus, it's Naoya Nomura, it's Jake Lee, it's those guys are who the future is meant to be built around and they revisit it and Zeus feels ready now. 
Zeus feels ready for the spotlight. I enjoyed Zeus in the Joe Dory match. I've enjoyed him in other various things. I enjoyed his Champions Carnival and all that. But Zeus felt ready for the spotlight. And I really enjoyed coming back to what should be your, uh, you know, your defining feud of the, of the new era of all Japan. And I think Zeus felt, uh, as big of a star as Kanto here, maybe uh, even bigger. And again, a lot of that is due to the fact that Kanto did take that back seat and this was really the Zeus show. Kanto doesn't get to hit the, uh, uh, straight jacket German suplex. And that's another big thing here is that Kanto doesn't get to hit his biggest weapon while Zeus does. And it's a lot of, I mean, I would call it more of a classic pure title match. I would, I would say that what Kanto and Zeus do in their two title matches in 2018 were more like typically, typically built pure title matches than most of the stuff that I saw. And I think these two surprisingly like nail it. I think for someone like Zeus, it might be easy to think that in the beginning stages of a match, it might be super uninteresting. And sure. granted, like I may, I might even agree with you if someone, if someone made that argument and it doesn't have the same, um, eventual like nastiness and, um, just downright dirtiness that the October match gets. But still, I really enjoy Zeus here and I enjoy Zeus coming up and meeting his, um, generational rival and finally getting his moment in the sun too. Mm. Alright, so my 34 is a match we made mention of earlier, and that I think you're going to have higher than me then. It's uh, AJ Styles defending the WWE Championship against Samoa Joe at SummerSlam. Yeah, I have that higher. Uh, So instead we can talk about my 34, which is Shuji Ishikawa versus Kazusada Haguchi from DDT DKing the first round of it, uh, and it's night seven. Truth be told, I'm not sure that I watched this. Uh... Did you ever see that Shuji versus Higuchi match from 2016? Uh, it was a title match, right? I don't think I did. Yeah. Um, I recall it being on your list back then. It was on my list. Loved it, loved it back then, and I love it even more now. It's, uh, and it's more on Higuchi here. Uh, Shuji, at least for me, he had a really strong January in 2018, but the rest of his 2018, I felt like was a little lackluster, and you could see the, in- the injuries were catching up to the dude, and. Right. Look, for how hard he's been going yeah, for so long, like, I can't hold that against him. Just a big guy, but, too. Like, it's it's got to yeah. be hard to carry that frame. Yeah, and to me, this is more the Higuchi show. This is Higuchi and his brilliant selling just being on display here. He is absolutely phenomenal, and, like, like for someone that's so big, you usually watch, like, you know the hosses, right, to see them chop somebody, hit somebody, and throw somebody. Right. And that's not what I watch Gucci for. I watch Gucci I watch Gucci matches matches to see him sell. Because regardless of if he's um underneath or even on top and has to do like wobbly legged monster selling, he's so fantastic at it. And him being up there against um his uh his senior, someone that outweighs him. I'm pretty sure someone that's taller than him. And he gets, and someone that's a lot meaner than him too. Seeing Higuchi sell was just great. And Shuji and Higuchi have this awesome chemistry, these big tanks going at it. But Shuji just a lot meaner and a lot stiffer. 
and QG comes out on top again, it's a lot of, not a lot of, but there's some nasty headbutts in this. Uh, you know, like, like there were in that 2016 match. And it's, it's still just so good. I, I, you really would enjoy this stuff if you, if you went and make the time for it's it. It's two guys I love. Yeah. It's just, I, I remember, um, I remember I didn't watch a whole bunch of that D-King and what I did watch, I wasn't thrilled by. Mm. Uh, instead, I was thrilled by my number 33 match of the year. It's Chihiro Hashimoto defending the Sendai Girls world title against Mako Setamura at their big show in Osaka. I never got around to this. Um, so this is the, what, the third meeting between these two at the end of the year? Um, and every single year it makes my list, and every year it's gotten higher, I think. Um, and this one especially is my favorite of the three matches thus far. Um, partially just because, like, Chihiro Hashimoto has, has grown into, like, a great wrestler from her rookie years. Um, but also because, like, I think this is, like, the first inkling of Satomura's, like, uh, Twilight career. Um, there's a lot of, like, great grappling from these two, a lot of great power stuff, like striking especially, um, but also just... Hashimoto being just like an awesome little hoss of a woman being able to to just uh toss some Satomura around but uh there's a moment there's a moment probably like two-thirds maybe three-fourths of the way through the match where um Hashimoto does her big senton off the middle rope and she comes down hard on Satomura's knee and like clearly fucks it up and watching Satomura like limp through the rest of this match and power through that pain um but then also uh very clearly maybe not very clearly like maybe this was the the idea all along and i just got worked um but it to me it seems like they were uh switching gears and changing focus to working on the leg a little bit more um to emphasize this injury um watching her struggle through all of that and like become this very wounded veteran uh was awesome because i am super into those sorts of stories and watching someone who's already one of my favorite wrestlers in the world embark on that journey for practically the first time was um really sad but like really uh really special to see uh my number 33 is a match i don't think you saw it's walter versus tyler Bate from progress chapter 76 uh this was the big wembley show right yeah i did see this and i i i felt odd watching it i couldn't tell if i really enjoyed it or not or if it was just like the phoniest thing in the world so you should go ahead and talk about it so going into this um you know everyone knows that this wasn't the match that was meant to happen for wembley it was supposed it was supposed to be walter versus zach saber jr and they do this big uh three and end thing on uh U.S. tour the progress does. It's like a tournament almost. Yeah, uh, it was is Bate Havoc Haskins. Um, I feel like Eddie Dennis was it was involved in somehow. Who, who fucking knows? I don't know. But uh, but um, it culminates with them getting back to England in the electric ballroom, and it's a match between Bate and Haskins, and I'm going to talk about um later on my list. Okay. But uh, Bate wins that, and. The big thing during this is Bate is sort of like done joking around. Mm. Bate isn't messing around the quote unquote Conor McGregor era of Bate. is isn't happening anymore. Right. He is 
serious. He's serious. And, uh, he's serious. Sekimoto robe bait. Tyler yes. Bait. <laughs> and while bait is in here, like talking and doing these um little interviews about how that was just him fucking around and he's ready to take the title and he's going right. to toss around Walter. Like no one's tossed him around because he is the big, strong boy. Yeah. Walter is just like, okay. <laughs> like he's like, he's a child. That's cute. And, like, yeah, like, like whatever. <laughs> and coming into this, I, I did kind of think they would maybe make these guys out to be equals. Right. And they mm. do give Tyler Bate some um, credit as being a strong dude. But and it's something and like fair warning. I have two Tyler Bate matches higher than this. Okay, and another one is is, is the one with Daisuke Sakimoto. And one of the things they do there is playing with the idea that Tyler Bate thinks he's so strong, mm. but he really isn't. And they do that here too, as where Tyler Bate thinks he's really strong, and he is strong, and he does get the moments to show that. But he's facing someone that's six four and three hundred pounds, right? Like, in like in that in this in this reality, like Tyler Bate is five seven, five eight, and a hundred and sixty, hundred seventy pounds. Mm-hmm. This this he's not a big dude, and, and and even more than that, like he just doesn't have he doesn't have the killer instinct that a guy like Walter does, that a guy like yeah, he, Daisuke Sekimoto does. Yeah, he's he fucks around, he jokes around, and Tyler Bate kind of came into this fucking around not understanding the severity of the situation and that's the one thing you don't do with walter sure you don't come in not understanding the understanding the severity of the situation and he pays for it i would be remiss if i didn't mention that like this really like this match is like the saving grace of like a fucking terrible show awful show like made like the worst show of the year hands down at least for me and and going into this like i'm very skeptical i'm like man like what if this sucks too mm-hmm. like but you know it's one of the best wrestlers in the world and they have a great match it's typical walter formula sure mm-hmm. it's the walter that isn't particularly nasty but walter plays with them which i think is something that um got explored with in 2018 but i really enjoyed here walter doesn't take tyler Bates too seriously mm-hmm. and you know, Walter's been so dominant and has already like defended his belt so many times, and um, and in other people's minds was was already like the rightful champion, like even before he won the belt. And Walter's like the most dominant force progress has ever seen. And Tyler Bate has to rely on his speed. He gets uh, he gets to break out some of his power spots. He gets to uh, if you remember the big six man tag between British Strong Style and uh. Raincom yeah. from early 2017. Right. He gets to bust out that deadlift German suplex again, which is really awesome. Sure, yeah. But, yeah, it's a, it's a Walter Bully match, but I like the uh, spectacle of it. It feels big. It's in Wembley. Um, you know, if they actually mic the crowd well <laughs> and they had good acoustics, which is like the weirdest fucking thing, like, like, progr- like progress is. <laughs> sound on crowds has gotten so bad and not like not just in these big arena places either like sometimes the ballroom sounds awful yeah strangest thing in the world and i feel like if you were actually able to hear hmm. the crowd more this like this would have um enhanced it but you know but i but from what I, what you can tell you know the crowd was into it sure this it's the, it's the thing they're most into on the entire show and it's very much um 
a typical title match feel, but I enjoyed the hell out of it. And it's not either guys as a best performance or anything, but it's two world-class guys going out there and having a great match. Yeah. Like I, like if you put a gun to my head, I think I'd say I liked it, but it was just, um, I think it was a match that came at the confluence of a couple strong opinions wherein, um, wherein like by this point in the year, I was really off the Walter train and, uh, I had, like, slowly been really falling out of favor with Bait, too, partially because of, like, all of this fucking around that he does. And I didn't think that this was, like, a particularly um, convincing performance as, like, a serious guy. And part of that, as you said, is, like, just um, the story of this match. But I don't know. Like, this this came at, like, the wrong time for me. But if this was, like, a year ago or so, like, I think I would have been over the moon about it. All right. Uh... What's your 32? A 32 is a match that we talked about a little earlier. It's Bobby Guns defending the WXW Shotgun Championship against Speedball Mike Bailey over 16-karat gold weekend. And I had that at 48. Yeah, this was... um, When I first saw it, it was one of the best matches of the year. And for a long time, it stayed in my top 10. And then as I really started to put this list together, it fell farther and farther down. Um, And not necessarily because this match is, like, weaker than I thought it was in retrospect. Um... But just because, like, a lot of stuff, like, surpassed it. And this this match is, like, in a lot of ways, like, this is a really um, restrained match. Which is crazy to think about, considering, like, the thing that it's noteworthy for. Um, but it's, like, a it's a real short, like, 12-15 minute mid-card title match in the middle of, like, a big tournament show. That has, like, one of the more noteworthy main events of the year. Um, but it makes great use of its time. And... Uh, pulls off something that like <laughs> totally astounded me when I first saw it. That being, um, Speedball Mike Bailey getting his finger—I forget which finger it is—but like one of his fingers bent back against his hand and like taped to the top of his hand for essentially half the match. Um, and like at the time we didn't realize like Speedball is double jointed, and seeing guns like tear tear his finger off the bone, what it looked like, and then completely like decimate him throughout the rest of the match and like work over his wrist and arm and to watch speedball who's a great baby face who's like a pretty good seller when he needs to be um watch him stumble through this match and just be completely horrified at what's happening to him like it was like such a thrilling thing and easily i thought easily the best thing of the 16 karat weekend yeah it was horrifying yeah like <laughs> watching this it's completely and utterly horrifying mm-hmm. and scary especially because like you said no one knew that bailey was right. double jointed in his fingers and, like, like we've watched him for years and it's never come up he's wrestled zach saber jr for god's sake and it's, it's totally. never come up so it's <laughs> completely so i need to know like if this was bailey's idea yeah. like what just, and, just had this in his back pocket the whole time yeah <laughs> like i have so many questions for this guy when it comes to this but it's so just enthralling even though you're completely grossed out watching it at the same time right <laughs> like you're like hey man can you take the tape off your finger and, and you know put it back into place but like you keep looking at it you keep you keep staring at it <laughs> and it's not to take away from like the awesome character work bobby does here mm-hmm. it's definitely the um most dangerous and calculated that bobby Gunn has come across it's like probably the peak of his career and like I gotta say, it's probably the second best match I've ever seen from Speedball. I'd have to think, 
but I wouldn't I wouldn't argue with that or even someone saying it's their favorite speedball match. Right. It's really phenomenal and something that translated to a to a whole bunch of people. Mm. The probably like the most um well received match out of Carrot Weekend. Right. And it's something that looked like it was about to make Bobby a star. Totally. <laughs> and then you know, and then that goes to like, wow, like booking in twenty eighteen, like really fucking sucked. And I, and I think I think he totally fell off along with uh, that, but you're right. Hmm. Um my number thirty two is a match you'll have higher for sure. It's Hiroki Goto versus Minoru Suzuki from Wrestle Kingdom twelve. Uh huh. We're not gonna talk about that until tomorrow, and instead we'll chat perhaps about uh, another one of my favorite New Japan matches of the year. It's Jay White defending the United States title against Juice Robinson at the G1 Special in San Francisco. A little bit higher. Oh, just a little? Okay. Uh, my number 31, a match I don't even think you've seen. It's Keith Lee versus Matt Riddle from PWG Neon Knights. No, I did watch this and I liked it a lot. Like, if if you'll recall um, from our 2017 podcast, I weirdly enjoy those two together and this was more of that. Um, well, I liked their stuff in 2017. This is, and I, and I use this phrase for like Wild Boar versus Will Ospreay. It's a, mm. This is complete and utter banger territory. Sure. This, this goal, this match has nothing else um, in mind other than being a great match for the PWG crowd. Mm-hmm, totally. And sometimes that connects and sometimes that doesn't. But right here for me, it fucking connected. Um, these two, again, like superhuman athletes. I love Keith Lee, like chopping Matt Riddle's chest into oblivion. Mm-hmm. There <laughs> is a pounce where Matt Riddle literally flies out of the fucking ring. Right. This match is patently absurd, mm. but I love it. It's so much fucking fun. And it's. Some, it's, it's the type of match style that I saw myself like um, getting moved by less and less sure. as as the year went on. But you know, like this and these guys just like really knocked it out of the park. And whatever people call PWG style, this is it mm. to a T. But I feel like this is as good as this style gets. Yeah, like this This was one of those matches that reminded me why I fell, not, not even fell in love. I had already liked PWG by that point. But it reminded me why PWG felt like the best promotion in the world from like 2011 through 2014. Like it was, it was dumb, but it was dumb fun in a way that didn't feel like it was insulting me. Um, mm. which is, I think how I felt about the promotion in the years since then. Uh, and it was like, yeah, easily like one of the best things PWG saw all year, just a bucket of fun. Like the, the definition of a popcorn match. Yeah. Um, so you can go ahead with your 30. My 30 is a match. I believe you already had on your list. It's Jonathan Gresham versus Jay lethal from ROH masters of the craft. The second of their third, uh, the second of their three matches of the year. Uh, yeah, I had that on my list. I can't find where it is, but you can go ahead. Um, this was just like, um, this was like a huge step up from their first match. And something that like threw me off initially was just the fact that like, this was essentially a rehash of the first match. Like they do probably about 70 or 80% of the same spots. Um, but where the first match was like sort of awkward in a lot of ways due to, uh, I, I think largely, uh, lethal's performance as well as just unfamiliarity between the two this one like they're totally 
uh, clicking and meshing together and have a an incredibly smooth match. A, a match that like that manages manages to do endless reversal spots in sequences in a way that doesn't bore me to tears. Like usually, oh, and, and just to say, I did. I had the wrong. It was the uh, this I had the first. I had the first match on my list, and I have the second one. But I was. I'll, I'll be able to talk about this whenever um it comes up on my list. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. so like I, I usually, I usually hate, uh, reversal sequences. I, I think they're like a little too convenient, like a little too choreographed. They don't like look interesting because they don't feel like a struggle. Um, in here, like you could probably describe a lot of this match that way, but, but to me, like it, it felt, it felt so compelling as, as this like incredibly talented lower card guy, like faced off against like a, a total ROH main eventer and like try to earn his spot in the company at a time in which we thought like Jonathan Gresham was probably done with ROH. Um, and like, it definitely feels like this feud in this match in particular, like solidified his spot in the company moving forward. And it was just like slick as hell. Um, and carried with it like a significance that I just, I just so often do not get in matches that you could describe as slick as hell. Yeah, and I'll um, give my thoughts on it when it shows up on my list. Uh, my number 30 is a match that you mentioned a little bit ago. It is Zack Sabre Jr. versus David Starr from Progress uh, Super Strong Style 16, Day 2. Yeah, and I had this at uh, 77, I want to say. Right. Uh, so, for me, other than Okada versus Tanahashi, Zack Sabre Jr. versus David Starr was my favorite in-ring feud of the year. Uh these guys have had really good matches in the past, but I think they just hit another level with each other in 2018. And this was my second favorite out of um, the three they had. The WXW match that was really good didn't make my list. Same. But here, um, I would say this is the biggest match they have. Um, a lot more pro style um, than the previous two were. Aliens leans in the kick out saying um right uh david star um doing a little bit more pro style selling i would say of his leg but you know it's great it still hits all the same notes that they uh laid the bl- um, blueprint for in the tetsuja match and um in the wxw match it's another great zack saber jr performance these guys have it's something i want to expound more on when i get to tetsujin but these guys, to me, perfectly encapsulate why I love wrestling when they wrestle each other. And it's because they're such real characters. They're sure. such, like, I totally believe that Zack Sabre Jr. is, like, this untouchable whiz kid. And that David Starr is someone who's, like, super fucking talented and gets frustrated so easily because mm-hmm. he just can't keep up with them in some respects. And... They do do a lot of the same a lot of the same stuff here. Uh, crowd is really into it, and it's a it's a surprising victory for Zach because in in last year's um super strong style, he beats David Starr in the first round. Mm-hmm. So seeing him just sort of beat David again was like oh shit like, and really David Starr's at his best when he's a loser. Yeah, he, um, totally. Like he like he like he, re- he reacts. And uh, is super discouraged and upset with himself and all that. And I can say the same for Zach. That Zach is at his best when he's a loser. Yeah. But 
you know, someone had to lose here and it was David Starr and David Starr takes it really hard. And I love, I love when these guys really put over the idea that losing a match really fucked with them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think David Starr, uh, other than another match that we, we both have higher did that better this year than, uh, right here against Zach at super strong style 16. Yeah. Um, I shared, I shared, uh, the same sentiment with you of, of liking their super fight from Tetsujin more than this one. Um, and thinking the WXW match was their worst of the year. Uh, but there's like a, a larger gap between this match and the Tetsujin match for me than there is for you. And, and I think it's because like parts of this one are a little, um, are a little goofy, uh, mm. in, in no small part due to how, it leans into a pro style as opposed to something a little shootier. Uh, but yeah, and, and and also just like you know, like location, like where this match is taking place, uh-huh, like totally. the company this is in. It's like they and something that that I really admire them for is like they were re- they were able to like effectively take this same match to three different places, right? And just like each time, gradually change it up based off like who they were wrestling in front of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for a couple different reasons, this is not my favorite of their three matches this year, but it, like it was, it was more of the great, uh, in ring action that these two do, like whether it's grappling, whether it's striking, whether it's just like getting super pissy and like throwing haymakers, haymakers at each other. Like in particular, there's a couple, um, clotheslines from star that are just astoundingly mean and send Zach ass over tea kettle. And it's super fun to watch. Man, like I really, I, I know. I remember I said this before, but like, I really at some, and I don't know if I still want this because it feels like maybe this, like the other guys lost the edge, but like, I really at some point wanted to see David Star versus Naito just because th- both those guys get super fucking pissy sure. when they're mad, and that's something that David Star introduced, um, you know, with his um, hand stancing, <laughs> and uh, and and, do, and doing all that stuff, uh with those clubbing forearms and lariats and he doesn't, he doesn't do it all the time. Yeah. I think it's like David has been really good at that is that he doesn't do that. Um, like flurry of offense all the time. And when, and when he does, it just feels like this guy has completely lost his mind and mm. he wants to kill whoever's in front of him. Right. My 29 is a match that you made mention of earlier. It's Trevor Lee facing ACH for the, AEW Heritage title at AEW's Unstoppable 2018. All right, I'm surprised that you have a higher than, higher than me, so go ahead and take it away. Um, so first and foremost, we should mention this is a 60 minute draw. Um, like it's impossible to really talk about the match outside of that context. Uh, but like, this is a really obvious match. Like these two, um, leading into this, heck. There had been rumors swirling for a long time that they were going to get signed by WWE, and that was like all but confirmed shortly thereafter. This, um, and so like this match in, in so many ways like feels like them going out there and being like, "Hey, fuck it, we only have so much time left on the Indies. Let's have like a super indulgent match with each other." Like these two guys who have um, incredible conditioning, who can go as long as anybody in the world, and can keep up an interesting pace throughout an entire sixty-minute match, and that's what they do like usually i don't like stuff that's super indulgent but like here it's two of my favorite guys who know how to pace things who know how to make shit meaningful um even if it's like tiny stuff that comes like 50 minutes into a 60 minute match they know how to make um big near falls feel huge and they know how to like 
how to shine in a place like AEW that so often feels like unbelievable, unconvincing, and uninteresting. Um, and this match is like anything but that. Mm. For me, what I really loved, again, is one of those glimpses of, wow, Trevor's still mm-hmm. so fucking good, and you miss it. But, it, and, and again, it shouldn't shock me, but great wrestler ACH shows up here once again, and in a 60-minute draw, which like is like, this is Trevor's domain, ACH impresses the shit out of me in this. Totally. Like, from like selling the ribs to selling the leg, the concept of exhaustion, it's ACH has always been really, really talented. And I think this match really showed me like like just how much of an elite seller this guy is. Uh-huh. This is such phenomenal work from this guy. Um even like the opening opening mat work I really enjoyed from them. And that's not what you usually um expect from an ACH ACH match. But there it's so breath like it's it's so refreshing mm-hmm. to see ACH do that stuff because he he doesn't really get to delve into it right a lot of the time. He, like even in ACH's big run as a W champ, he didn't really get to do that kind of stuff. So to see him just you know and, and and you know like they were they were just kind of fucking around and we don't got much time left can we go wrestle each other for 60 and getting the go ahead too right and in the I mean, middle of the like, card too like it's yeah like, it's like so middle dumb. of the show like, it's, there's it's like dumb. five matches after this it's dumb as shit but you know what like they're two of the best wrestlers in the world uh-huh and it just works because like they're both immensely talented young guys and ACH's performance here like really catapulted to, catapulted him to another level and right. is what makes him a top 10 wrestler of the year and he already was teetering on that, on that before that maybe already even wasn't that top 10 but he's especially elite mm. now because of a match like this where he did everything a bunch of little things um a fucking uh back break like like flies off the um apron and taking a backbreaker like right. like onto the guardrail and stuff like the that the single best kitchen sink ever yes like <laughs> ACH is fucking incredible in this match and i get it a lot of people don't have the patience to sit here and watch a 60 minute draw especially especially a draw they know is coming right. so i totally get if this if some people like view this as a chore and something that doesn't sound appealing to them but if you're if you're a fan of either of these guys, make some time for it. You know Trevor Lee can go the distance and make it interesting, and ACH proves he can do it just as well. Mm. Uh, my number twenty nine is Mike Bailey versus Katsusada Haguchi from the first D King, and it's night six. And once again, I'm not totally sure that I ended up watching this one. Not a ton to make note of here but it's a really fun matchup because these guys have been going at it since the dna days and they've always been a really good combination whether it was um in tags singles trios these guys have a real uncanny chemistry together and you know you you, like you almost thought that back in um when pw when when um Speedball was still able to work in the states. Oh, yeah. That that he maybe like might have found like his career rivals already, or, or the people that he was meant to work with on sure. a high level. Like, you no, know, he already had worked with a hero to this point. 
Tommy and um, Roderick Strong, favorite. Biff Busick. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you would think maybe in that bunch, those would be like, oh yeah, those are the guys that Speedball is going to have like his best matches with, and then he shows up in DDT after he can't come to the U.S. anymore, and he finds someone who he can just mesh with, mesh with him so perfectly in Higuchi, and uh, it's the only singles match they have in 2018. But it was my most anticipated match of D-King because I know how great those guys have been in the past together. And they delivered their best match to date. Uh, again, Higuchi is so great at selling. And he does it even when he's not in there against a giant like Ishikawa. Mm. He's in there with someone much smaller than him and Mike Bailey. And yet he still sells his ass off. He doesn't do it at the expense of feeling like he's... um. Uh, lessening the impact, lessening the impact of his size, but it feels like Bailey's just a killer. Bailey's just skilled, and no matter all the size and strength that Higuchi has, he can't act like Speedball isn't kicking the shit out of him. Right? He can't act like like Speedball's um double knees to the back aren't hurting him. And I feel like that's what I like about this is that even with the size disparity, you could act like this is a David and Goliath match, but they don't treat it that way. It's two guys that get presented as equals despite that. And something really weird that I notice here is like the flexibility of Higuchi. And it's going to sound weird to bring this up, but the finish here is Higuchi doing a big old doctor bomb to speedball. And it wouldn't be something that was like so noteworthy except for the way, like how far Higuchi's legs spread like yeah. after he power bombs power bombs him, and I was like being a sumo, being like a former sumo guy, like him being so flexible isn't surprising, mm. but it's just like it was like a little extra oomph to that last power bomb he gave Speedball, like seeing him fully extend his legs like that and with the set out was like okay, wow, he like definitively like put this guy down for good yeah you look at you look at a guy of his size and his stature and you think like oh if this dude's gonna do a doctor bomb it's gonna look more like steve williams but he ends up looking like kenny omega right and it was super uh i guess it caught me off guard but again it shouldn't have sure. just because of like just because of his background but i love the exp- exclamation point that um that doctor bomb put on the finish and Again, you really should go back and at least watch Higuchi's D-King run. Uh, you, you can go ahead with 28. I'm afraid I'm afraid all of the matches I have left are things you're going to have higher. <laughs> so we're going to see. Uh, all right. At 28, I've got Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kazuchika Okada from the G1 Climax. Uh, yeah, I got that higher. And my number 28 is a match you mentioned earlier. is Will Ospreay versus Robbie Eagles from PWA August 11th. Awesome. So, last year, well, 2017. Yeah, I remember this 2019 now. Sure. 2019 now. <laughs> so, in 2017, Will Ospreay uh, went to PWA and faced Robbie Eagles in a match that was really good. I enjoyed the shit out of it. Um, it's where Will Ospreay debuts the mat, debuted the move that allegedly concussed Kota Ibushi in that um in that elbow. What does he and call it? He's got like a name for it, doesn't he? At first, it was off with his head. Right. And now, allegedly, again, 
people uh, people were clamoring for to be called the Hidden Blade. <laughs> oh, yeah, more more Assassin's Creed bullshit. Right. Um. So should be called the I'm really bad at Twitter elbow. Uh, that that would be much more fitting. But they have a really awesome match, and it's really noteworthy because that's when Osprey cuts the promo about how he's mm-hmm. here to stay in Australia and wants to help this scene grow and all that stuff. And Osprey did keep up keep up with that. He didn't go live in Australia and all that, but he was there quite often having matches with the top guys and showing up and teaching classes and all that. So he kept, he kept his word when it came to that. And he comes back a year later and while it's, it would be super easy to just call this, you know, Will Osprey coming back to some little territory to help give a guy a rub again. It's not because Robbie Eagles has his own story going on and Robbie Eagles has been losing and Robbie Eagles, it's on a down. It's on a downward path. Essentially, uh, since that first match with Osprey, mm-hmm. and he was the PWA champion, regained that title, and lost it to Jonah Rock, lost a four way, and Robbie Eagles, the guy that's supposed to be like the ace of this scene, is currently lost and has nothing to show for all this hard work. And here comes the guy that sort of did all this to him, and. It's a lot of the same stuff initially that I like about their first encounter together. They're both really athletic guys and they do some really creative stuff, um, with seek, with sequences and in the air. But it takes a turn when Osprey, uh, does a dive and. No, I think it's, I think he does, uh, La, something. La Atlantida, uh, Atlantis's finisher. Oh yeah, you're right, you're right. He does some sort of version of, um, La Atlantida and, when, and for those who don't know, it's like a torture rack backbreaker. It's just of. like spinning out and falling onto his knees to get that to get that um yeah. that pressure onto the backbreaker. And he does it, and he comes up like grabbing his knee, and you you think nothing of it. He is shaking Cause it it's, out because it's just a little thing. It's not it's not right. focused on. Yeah, and um he shakes he shakes it out and he like the match goes on for a few more minutes maybe like maybe, maybe more than a few like 10 minutes or whatever and gradually osprey will you know shake the knee out grab it a little bit but you're able to forget it because it's not this big deal then osprey does a dive and osprey tweaks this knee even further and if you remember in 2016, there was a match I really loved between Will Ospreay and Shane Strickland. Will Will Ospreay played with the idea of like this fake injury from Progress, right? Yeah, yeah, and it was uh, to his uh, shoulder, and Will Ospreay was so desperate that he he before it went, considering he was like winless in Progress to this to this point for the for the for the year, and he was willing to feign an injury to gain any kind of advantage over Shane Strickland, and I like the fact that. You know, I, I probably unintentionally, they do like the inverse of that story here, where Robbie and Osprey are supposed to have like this like mutual respect for each other, and Robbie seeing how hurt Osprey is in the position that Eagles is in, being so desperate and trying to get himself back on track, instead of taking the high road and letting Osprey get himself back together, he does like a like a drop kick or like some kind of coast to coast like to Osprey's knee and from there on like he's on him completely and 
the entire tone of the match changes. It's no longer these guys are going to go out here and have a um, sequel to their classic from last year. It's Robbie Eagles needs this win, and he will do anything it takes to make this happen. And other than stuff that the Young Bucks did that I'm going that I'm going to talk about, well, relatively soon. Sure, it's some of the most creative exploration of selling and how to get the selling that you'll see all year because it all starts with Will Ospreay doing a simple thing and you think nothing of it and they come back to it and and halfway through they zero in on this thing and Will Ospreay sells it great throughout the um, rest of that closing stretch Robbie Eagles is super focused on it yes they do big spots they're guys that are going to get their big spots in on the top rope or whatever Mm. but in that, I don't ever feel like they lost sight of that leg injury. And Robbie Eagles, someone who had never shown that kind of death before, showed a kind of viciousness and desperation that I loved. He was so rabid and hungry to make something happen for himself. And the finish, um, well, the leg work plays into the finish as, um, it was, it was like some kind of leg lock that, uh, Eagles finishes Osprey off with. But it's one of the most creative matches of the year. It's something that could have easily just been another big athletic bomb fest, but mm. but it isn't. And for Will Ospreay and even like Robbie Eagles to be part of something that was like so creatively unique, I think was very cool to see. And I, I, I was pleasantly surprised that you liked the match as much as you did. Yeah, it was it was easily one of the most impressive matches I saw in 2018. Like um, Osprey as has been well documented is a guy who I sort of hate and who does like all sorts of things in his matches that I despise in spite of the fact that like, he's super fun to watch. Like mechanically he's, he's just like super enjoyable as this little popcorn flyer. Um, but here, like he brings such a nuance to this gradual worsening of his injury that it's like, I, I could not have imagined him doing this match a year ago. Or let alone like three years ago or something, you know, like it was, it was incredible to watch him to pull this off in a way that I would imagine from someone like AJ Styles or Daniel Bryan, like we're going to talk about with the next match, maybe, um, the the sort of like, the sort of like worsening over time of something, of something escalating slowly as opposed to in in an instant in, in, as opposed to in an instantaneous and obvious way as is usually Osprey style. Um, and along with that, like you mentioned the creativity a bunch, like this is like one of the cooler moves matches of the year, like, uh, a match in which like these guys like do all sorts of stuff targeted at Osprey's knee that on its face are sort of goofy, but are also just like super thrilling, like a six, one, nine to the knee in, in, and they do it in a way that like, doesn't turn me off. That doesn't like make me go, Oh, okay. Now they're just doing all the stupid stuff that I hate. Like it, it feels warranted and it feels interesting. Um, and it's not like I don't love everything about this match. Like, there's a couple they they do eventually dig into those moves that I sort of hate. But like, it go it goes super it goes like super long, relatively of like yeah, like compared to like where you would think these guys would be. But um, but yeah, like they did more than enough stuff that I actually really loved to get it onto my list. At I think I had it back in like the seventies, like the low seventies. But I mean, still, even that it's one of the, one of the best Osprey matches I've ever seen. And definitely the best thing I've seen, um, from Eagles, like a guy I've been watching since his backyard days. Mm. Um, 
And you can go ahead. It sounds like a match that I'll probably have higher than you, but what is it? 27, I have AJ Styles defending the WWE Championship against Daniel Bryan on a SmackDown from October the 30th. Yeah, I have that match higher. And my 27 is a match that I, I know you liked a lot, but I, but it sounds like didn't like didn't like enough to ma- to make your list based on how things are going. It's the Young Bucks versus Evil and Sonata from Dominion. Yeah, this didn't end up making my list, despite the fact, um, at least the first time that I watched it, despite liking it a lot. Um, so while the Golden Lovers versus Bucks will be what people point to for the great selling and the story that the Young Bucks told right. throughout 2018. For me, this is, other than the uh, ladder match from WrestleMania weekend, I think this is I think this is a more complete performance um, for the stories that they've been gradually telling throughout the year. Uh, coming into it, everything had been about uh, Matt Jackson's back and Matt Jackson always needing to be saved or being the weak link in matches because his back just kept getting aggravated and. It was super creative, super unique, and something that hadn't really been done before to that scale in wrestling, at least that, at least that I can recall. So continuously, at least guys, to, at least buy guys like this. I wouldn't even see. I wouldn't even say buy guys like this. I got. There's, I, I'm. I'm trying to think of something that has been like taken from promotion to another promotion and like kept up consistently for like eight months. Mm. And I, I, I can't even think of that happening in general. Not just with guys that are quote unquote viewed as like, you know, spot guys or whatever. Sure. I think, I think it was that unique. And here they are and this stuff gets explored again, but here we are with another med match injury thing. And there's a sequence going on between, uh, the Bucks and Evil and Sonata and Nick Jackson does his usual penalty kick that he tries to go for or one of those roundhouse kicks and he winds up kicking the ring post and that's when everything changes because then it becomes less about Matt and Nick Jackson covering for Matt in, in their times of need. It becomes a story about the young bucks of survival because now these guys really have their backs up against the wall. This is their first shot at the IWGP heavyweight titles just recently moving up. Mm-hmm. They're facing the champions and not only is Matt Jackson's back injured. Now Nick Jackson has a fucked up ankle. Now Nick Jackson can barely fly. Nick Jackson can't do the Melter Driver. Nick Jackson uh can't get up for the for, can't get up for the drop kick and all and all this stuff. And they have to survive. They have to find these other ways to get out of um predicaments. They have to save each other a whole bunch. And I think that's why I liked it. Like the sense of camaraderie here between the young bucks is so infectious mm-hmm. because these guys um, they sort of tease, at least at some points during like um the beats during that um BTE time period, you know, some sort of dissension between the young bucks, and here that sort of just vanishes because these guys need each other mm. at this point in time. These guys needed to be on the same page because without being on the same page, without covering for each other, without letting everything go and being on the um offensive and being aware. And not letting the other one get isolated, they will lose this shot, mm. lose everything that they've been working towards for the last few years. And for that aspect, I loved it. It's the best tag match that Evil and Sonata had by far. <laughs> Easily. 
And I'm not someone that like really likes either guy that much. Mm. And the fact that the Young Bucks are able to get so something so interesting out of these guys said a lot to me. And again, I get it. To a lot of people, the whole Matt Jackson's back thing and really that whole story um, was could be viewed as like you know prestige prestige wrestling or something that didn't have um, substance to it. Was, substance to it or wasn't interesting because it was the Bucks. They could have viewed it as forced. And I just felt like even if it was the Bucks going, okay, we're going to go and do this this year instead because everyone wants to act like we don't sell. Sure. Even if it was sort of like uh, um, figurative, like fuck you to everyone that acts like the Bucks can't do this stuff, I still feel like in the matches, it, translate into, it translates into something so genuine mm. and believable. And for guys that have been... um as easy to dislike as the young bucks have been in certain cases and you know sometimes they're like really great heels and other times it's just because that they can be a little bit abrasive but i think at this moment in time it was impossible to watch this match and not want the young bucks to win because with those two injuries and how they fought through them and eventually won the match i thought you couldn't leave this being like wow the young bucks won me over at least for tonight Totally, and, and like I really don't think we can make a big enough stink about the fact that they did it with like guys who were really dull in Evil and Sonata, especially guys who were really dull together. Um, and they continue to do that to do that throughout the rest of the year with like uh, God as well, the uh, the Girls of Destiny. Um, and it was it was re- like really something to see. Like not necessarily my favorite stuff that they did in 2018, and. Um, not yours either based on i think at least one match that we're going to talk about tomorrow um but really impressive stuff all right and you talked to me about your 26 being something that i might have higher so what is it yeah my 26 is uh going to be your highest ranked match of the year from one of our favorite wrestlers it's daniel Makabe defending the solid steel championship against artemis spencer from 321 battle the fast and the furriest yeah i don't have that listed yet um so I guess to end this episode, we could talk about something else that you had on your list earlier. It's Jay White versus Juice Robinson Ooh. from New Japan at the Cow Palace. Uh, I'll let you go first on this. This, like, in another year, this would have been, like, the best New Japan match of the year. Like, if Tanahashi had not gone on a career resurgence, if um, my man Minoru Suzuki hadn't uh, had one of his best matches in years, like, this would easily be the top of the list for me. Um, something that was like so impressive, not just for um, a guy I like Juice Robinson getting back on track and like having another high level match that it felt like he hadn't had in quite a while. Um, but also like Jay White completely cementing this idea of him turning around after poor showings earlier in the year and feeling like the top level heel that New Japan needs um, and doing it in a place that like we should mention like i feel like these these american crowds are going to eat up whatever new japan gives them anyway i guess the we're going to see that put to the test with these upcoming nashville and chattanooga and or not 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 chattanooga um, charlotte shows and whatnot um but like i feel like it's it would be easy to dismiss what these two do here but like i think what they do is just absolutely phenomenal like working this crowd into a frenzy um 
fucking with the the commentators, the English commentators. Getting Josh Barnett legitimately <laughs> mad to the point where he actually wanted to fight He's gonna rush Jay the White. ring. It's so good. Like that's like like one hundred percent facts. Like what? he wanted to fight him. Like working a wrestler. Like, to the point that he was like, fuck it. I'm going to just jump in the <laughs> ring and beat this dude down. Like, it it was it was so cool to watch these guys, like, be as dangerous as they could be, be as endearing as they could be, and just knock it out of the park with this awesome little hand-based match. Mm. And, again, like, I, I, I mentioned it when you when we talked about um, Jay versus Tanahashi from G1. And this isn't my highest-ranked Jay White match of the year. Right. But... I feel like this is where this um, discussion is most applicable is I feel like and I, and I still don't feel like, and I still don't feel like Jay is a great wrestler or anything. Sure. But I feel like for for Jay because you know something you know and it's, it's weird to blame this but you know due to the, like the meme of you know here's the here's the knife pervert and look how look how goofy he looks <laughs> like people kind of didn't give Jay a chance. And I feel like whether or not like that's deserved or whatever is like up to, up to debate and we could open that up here. But I feel like with how quick people were to blame Jay, they didn't want to give Jay a chance. Sure. And, you know, I get it. You know, we're just coming off of um, Okada and all that stuff. And Okada's already like super divisive. And here we are getting a guy that's pretty much going to be like the white Okada. Well, like, not to mention Omega either. Mm-hmm, like I, I get it. But I feel like Jay is a guy that in those first few months really wasn't given a chance to impress and to like really impress you and impress people. And um, when it came to that, to that wrestle kingdom match with Tanahashi, it felt like people were more inclined to blame Jay than they are to blame Tanahashi, the guy that's been wrestling for um, 20 years and all that stuff. And why is Tanahashi not going to sit here and like adjust his game to help this young guy out that has never been in his position before. And I feel like, despite all that, I feel like um I, I like the Kenny Omega match that Jay has from a uh, new beginning, but I don't love it. And I feel like, despite his like shaky start, I think Jay has it together by like whenever he has a David Finley U.S. title match. Uh, April, I want to say. Yeah, around around that time, I feel like Jay has it together sure. by then. And I feel like it was a thing where a lot of people weren't watching it. I feel like a lot of people well, part, saw like, Jay th- at the... A lot of it, I think, it was just... It was because he was on smaller shows like that. Or he was, like, yeah, he... in undercard tags. Like, he has, um... He has, a, uh, I think it's a trios match at Dominion that I remember remarking, like, oh, like, this is really good. Like, this is the best I've seen from Jay yet. And it's because, like, he's not having those marquee matches that he had early, yeah. earlier in the year. Yeah, and, that, and that's what I think I was, like, stressing to you guys. Like, in our, in our chat, is like, I know that, like, whatever happened at... Wrestle Kingdom wasn't the best, but Jay has been getting better. And it was just happening on um Road Two shows and Trios tags. Right. And I feel like this was Jay's coming out party. It was the match that Jay White needed. And I'm not sure a match has like any other match has been like so helpful into getting a guy over to that next level than this was. Because this is like yeah, this is on a US show. Mm-hmm. And it's not even necessarily like a huge show. Um, either like the att- the, the attendance wasn't great yeah. for the Cal Palace, but still like for 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 as many tickets sold, like it was a, a successful show. And there, what the were they even the semi main event? 
Um, I don't recall if the juniors match went ahead of this. Right, but something like one that. of well, like one of like three title matches mm. or four title matches on the show, and is Jay someone that's like been super unpro- unproven in the U.S. and Juice Robinson someone that's really over in Japan and has done well or done done okay in his forays into the U.S. But again, two guys that aren't like marquee names, right? And they get the hottest reaction of the crowd of the night. They like the crowd is hotter for this than they are for Kenny versus Cody right. on the same show. And I think that speaks volumes. Jay White feels nasty. Jay White feels mean. Jay White feels like he has a point to prove. And you mix in that nastiness with like cheap heel chicanery bullshit. <laughs> you mix it you mix it in with handwork. It's like it's a perfect storm right. because it ticks off so many awesome boxes the crowd is into it jay white is such a fucking dickhead in it juice sells his hand fantastically like it was impossible to, it was impossible to watch this and not come away at least enjoying mm-hmm. it and i don't think everybody left this match being like 100 percent sold on jay but i at least left this like knowing like jay's okay jay's gonna be jay's gonna be just totally fine. and i think that's all i at least needed and this was before the G1, the G1 happens, and um, JY had the Tanahashi match that wound up making your list, and all that stuff. And I thought he had a pretty, uh, I thought he had a pretty alright showing in the G1. Solid, yeah. And this match really is the catalyst into maybe Jay White has been getting has been getting better at least. At least, at least, at least in our bubble. I don't know how the reaction was at least on Twitter, but. I know at least for us and like some other people I saw that we, that, um, at least you or Simon mm-hmm. were easing up on Jay after this match happened. I know, uh, I, I still know plenty of people who hate Jay who, and who hate Juice for that matter and who thought that this Juice US title run was the worst title run in wrestling I anyone, history. <laughs> I don't know anyone who hates Juice. <laughs> it's, uh, well, it's, it's like all my, um, it's funny, it's, I don't know how to describe these sorts of people. It's like my smarky friends who are not smarky like us. Right. It's like the people who still hate Seamus for whatever reason. <laughs> like people. Okay, so it's like, so it's like in the bubble, but like you're not like. Yeah. Be, but you're not like we love Mark Henry. <laughs> yeah, like they're, they're from that generation though is the thing. And I think part of it is just like. Really? Okay. They're just like, they're in their mid thirties and like they're sort of stuck in their ways in some ways. Right. Um, so maybe that's just it. But yeah, like I, I still know plenty of people who like hate these two guys, but I don't know that they hate this match. Uh, it's it's sort of an undeniable match, and not not necessarily gonna be like anyone's like match of the year or anything. Although I wouldn't be like shocked sure. or like you know scoff at that. But I'm not sure there was a more necessary match to happen in twenty in 2018 because say if this doesn't deliver, I think Jay's still like on an all right trajectory, but. But and you know by that by um that way of thinking just going based off like how per, how, per, how I personally felt and um you know you had a you had the Tanahashi G one match making your list mm-hmm. like for me like Jay would have gone almost the entire year without making without having a match that I consider great right. if you like because he would have had to wait all the way until the October Tanahashi match this match was super necessary for Jay White to uh, feel credible for one um. Get him to the next level because this is when Jay White drops the U.S. title and it's such a really cool moment for Juice, a guy that's been working really hard and gradually climbing up the card. 
in New Japan. Is it necessary for um Jada drop this belt to be able to move on to whatever he's doing, which was eventually the Okada feud and throwing chaos into a state of flux and eventually um joining Bullet Club. Mm. But without this match, I'm not sure Jay has the credibility to go and do everything that, that he does later on. For sure. But if you don't have anything to add, then that will conclude part two for us right here. Uh, some technical difficulties made this uh, a little bit more frustrating to do than it usually is. At least it was shorter but... than the first episode. <laughs> yes, it was definitely shorter. Um, but I can't say the same for what's, what's about to happen uh, oh, yes. tomorrow when we record our top 25. I have no idea how Brock's top 25 is going to look. And I'm not sure probably knows how my top 25 is. Well, one of those is definitely true. (laughs) Alright, so... Thank you all for listening to part two, despite all the technical errors. Thank you all. Hope you're here for part three. Oh, think about the way These words are for display Just go around it I don't need a full hit go You never thought that I Yes, I'm doing better with my sleeping I need less time for weeping Yes, I know it's training But I'm doing better with